2: now
4: everyone. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and this is another edition of Red Pill News for Friday Night Live Stream. Joining us in the studio tonight, for the very first time, second attempt. <clears throat> We've got Tommy Robinson, the one and only Probably, as far as I'm aware, the the most well-known British activist and an amazing documentarian and filmmaker. Obviously, last week, or I guess two weeks ago, we sat down and watched Tommy's most recent documentary, Silenced. And Tommy is now here to talk to us about that and, of course, his experiences and what he's got going on right now. So please, if you're watching over on Rumble, do me a favor, hit the like button. If you're over on Pilled.net, hit the red pill. Thank you very much to Mr. Driftwood over on Pilled. He says, watching live from Taranaki, New Zealand. That's awesome. Much love to you both from me and Wendy the Wonder Cow. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for that. Appreciate the donation. (laughs) Oh, look at this. The call-in guy says, what stupid conspiracy does this guy push? Well, you can call in in the second half of the show. We'll see if you got the balls. Sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and we're going to be right back after this with Tommy Robinson. Let me put something into perspective for you guys. The U.S. dollar has lost 85% of its value since the 1970s. That's when the dollar was decoupled from gold. And the U.S. government seems hell-bent on continuing this tradition. So, from now until after the next elections, the government plans on printing as much money as they could ever possibly want. The last time they did that, inflation rose by 9%. So what about gold? Well, gold is the only asset that's been proven through time to withstand inflation. Invest in gold right now with Noble Gold Investments. And when you do, you'll get this free 24 karat one one-quarter-ounce gold standard coin for free with certain conditions. Go to my special website, redpill78gold.com right now. Once again, that's the link in the description, redpill78gold.com. Noble Gold is the only company I trust. And when you support my sponsor... Tommy, are you there? I'm here. Okay. (laughs) Lost you for a second. It might have been my internet. I don't know. (laughs) That's all we need. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for being here. Really, really appreciate you joining us. I got to say, I've been following your work for many years, and it is uh, a bit of a dream. You you froze, said. Okay. All right. So regardless of uh, what's going on, I don't understand. For some reason, it keeps happening, but- Let's just say I'm glad you're here, glad that we've got you on the program. Um, Tommy, uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Silenced. Uh, we watched the film a couple of weeks back, and uh, I understand that there was some controversy about its release and uh, about your ability to go home as a result. What can you tell us?
5: So I made that film a couple of years ago. I made it, and I, the, the idea was they, they put me through the courts and the idea was the final day of the court case, whichever way the verdict went, I was going to release the film because the film totally exonerates me, totally proves the corruption of the entire story, totally proves it was fabricated, proves everything from start to finish. But then on the final day of so the final day of court comes, um, which is the court verdict, and the judge basically wrote down everything that you see on the film into then I received a prison sentence for contempt of court. At which point, at which point I had to shelve the film. So I had to come out of that courtroom, watch the media tell the world I'd lied, watch all of them say that I was a liar, watch them continue with the story that Jamal was an innocent, innocent victim. And the other child was a racist bully have to continue to watch this facade of this facade of a story. And, um, and I bottled it, if I'm honest. As a journalist, I should have gone straight against that injunction. If, pro- for the previous 10 or 15 years of my activism, I've always said, if you worry about consequence, you'll never bring about change. Yeah. So I've never thought about the consequences, or I've never let that deter me. So I've just gone full steam ahead with whatever I'm doing if I believe I'm right, I've continued to do it. Now, I come out of court, and the thing that I should have done is played that film straight away. I should have let everyone know, he, actually, here's the truth, and, and and thrown it into the judge's court and said, go on then, do what you're going to do. Because essentially, if he would have put me in prison, it would have made the world watch the film. Now, if I'm honest, my previous prison sentences had left me in such a bad situation with, with, with solitary confinement at long, of long periods, with all the fear the worry for me going to prison isn't just about being locked in a room it's the fear that i'll be killed in there because our prisons are controlled by islamic gangs right so i have all these all these worries and if i'm honest i bottled it and i I, and i didn't put the film out and i'm surprised it took two years so that film when when i got the injunction i told the judge the film was already in the united states i'd made the film for Infowars, for alex jones but then, when I'd come out of the courtroom, I would pleaded with Alex Jones not to release the film because the way the, the way the injunction is worded, it's not if I release it, it's if anyone releases it. So he saw, I, I feel it's a bit like entrapment. The film was already made. The judge knows it's already made. The film's already in America. He knows it's already in America. Yet here he gives me a written injunction saying if anyone ever presses play on it, I get two years in jail. So, um, but then it's uh, citizen journalists in the United States who had been, who were in possession of the film and who were going to air it. And that then uh, that then triggered a sequence of events. The sequence of events was me panicking, thinking I'm about to be locked up again. But also fully understanding why those people were going to air that film. If I'm honest, if I'd have been in, in a possession of a film that told the story that silence does, and the journalist was in America saying, don't air it, I'd have aired it. On the sure. side of journalism, on the right of freedom of speech, on the, on the battle, the film is a far bigger story than my story. It's a, uh, we've all seen the corrupt, uh, the weaponization of the judiciary and law enforcement. You've seen it in America now of the FBI. You've seen it with Steve Bannon. You've seen it with Donald Trump now. Um, this is a story that this captured on camera and details what goes on behind the scenes and the unholy alliance of the media, the government. Um, the far-left organisations, how they all conspire to work together to control certain narratives. And I was going against the narrative, so I had to be silenced. And this film details the the extreme lengths they'll go to to silence anyone. So I'm currently now sat in Spain. Um, I'm sat here. I've been sat here for months now. I'm sat here waiting my children come out next week. I've got three children. So when, when this all blew up, and worrying about the situation, I just thought, you know what? I don't want to miss another summer with my kids because I've missed too many. Um, so I'm, my children will be out here for four weeks with me. I'll have my summer with my kids. And then I'll go home and face face whatever music there is to face.
4: So I, I got to say, I think that was probably the most heartbreaking part of this story for the audience. You know, I mean, uh, to 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 spin this lie... They require the system that is uh, essentially stacked against you to ruin your life and to destroy the foundations of it. You you lost your family. You you had to get a divorce from your wife. You had to move your children and her to uh, someplace else so that they'd be safe. Uh, And obviously, with the film already being completed, you've got uh, time and money and probably other people have money invested in the production of that. So, I mean, it puts a lot of pressures on your life. And then on top of that, with the judge and the press saying that you're a liar and that you've somehow twisted the truth so that it would make this uh, this young boy uh, appear to be a victim of some kind uh, or, or, or show him to be the perpetrator rather than the victim, uh, it makes it very difficult. So uh, with the, the court case itself, was this brought on by the lawyers for that young boy, Jamal, or was this some other aspect of the British court system?
5: So the young so Jamal who is a, was a young boy up in Huddersfield somehow got teamed up with the celebrity jihadi w- would be go-to lawyer for every terrorist in the UK. So somehow they got teamed up together, yeah. Before before the video had even gone online. So before there was a news story around this, Jamal was armed with these celebrity jihadi lawyers. And it was those celebrity jihadi lawyers who bought who brought the case against me. Um, They brought the case against me. And what happens is then you go to court. So they brought the case against me and it's evident in the trial. And the judge accepts that I only reported what I was told Mm -hmm. Which is my job, which is my job as a journalist. yeah? Yeah. I should be protected under the public interest argument. So I argued in court that it was within the public's interest for them to hear the other side of the story especially the reason being that the public had donated over 160,000 pounds to jamal in a 48 hour period it was duty bound that as a journalist i should inform the public they're not being told the truth now the judge the judge straight away ruled against public interest which is just unheard of how how is it not in the public interest so then he ruled that i have to prove truth so i have to prove categor- i have to prove in court that um the, the allegations I made The allegations I made were that Jamal threatened to stab someone and that Jamal beat up girls. They were the two allegations I made. I had to prove that they were true. So then we had the court case come up. But, but in between this, I was offered to pay £50,000 and make a public apology, of which I refused. I was warned at that time by Katie Hopkins. I don't know if you know Katie Hopkins. I do, yeah. Katie Hopkins. Okay, so Katie Hopkins warned me at that time, Tommy, you have no idea what they can do here, yeah they what they done to her, they bankrupt Katie Hopkins, so for a similar court case, they bankrupt Katie Hopkins, and she said they took money from accounts that was nothing to do with it from relatives they they literally can do what they want, yeah, wow. and she, she said when they put this order against you that they will do what they want, so she she warned me, um. She warned me, but I I simply couldn't throw Bailey under the bus again. I felt that by me apologising in any way, even if it wasn't for the right reasons, if if I was in a corner where I had to apologise because they're going to destroy my life, I felt that if I'd done that, I'm sort of like concrete and again that Bailey was in the wrong somehow, right. and that this 15-year-old 15, this 15 child whose life I'd seen be destroyed um, – I just couldn't do it to him. So I I refused that. They took me through the court process. I turned up in court. But what I'd done is, as this court case was going on, I then went up and approached some of the pupils and and their families. I managed to find five pupils, five, that would come to court and testify and give evidence uh, of truth. So they would come. And these are five pupils that I don't know, that I've Mm -hmm. never met. And two two of these allegations... So one girl put online saying that Jamal had beat her with a hockey stick and another mother put online saying that Jamal had bit her daughter's head when she and jumped her. Now, both these people had put these allegations online before my involvement in this case whatsoever. So I come in as a journalist after these stories have gone out. I cooperate them and I report them. So there's no way that these people have made anything up for my benefit. There's no way any of them have lied for my benefit. All of this has happened before my involvement. So I get these five people to agree to come to court, and then I and then because I need the public to know what I know, so then I wear the hidden camera. Now, with with the hidden camera, I was gobsmacked really of of, what once I knew the truth of why no one spoke out. I couldn't understand how this story could blow up so big worldwide. And when I say worldwide, this story was manufactured. The story blew up six weeks before. The, the video was released six weeks before. They timed it. And the day you see the video go viral, pumped around the world with the GoFundMe, it was all organized. The lawyers put in a free, the, the lawyer, Jamal's lawyers put in a criminal record check against Jamal. It comes back, say, on the 25th. On the 26th, this story blows up worldwide. So they were holding the story, waiting waiting to get their all clear. When they got their all clear pump, they went for it worldwide and it was a story that everyone who's anyone who wants to virtue signal could and would get behind because this is the story of a racist attack, a racial, a, a poor Syrian refugee has escaped war in Syria, come to a school in the UK and had his arm broken in a racist attack, been racially bullied and and everyone, everything's to do with racism. So they they blew this story up. So I went and wore a covert camera. I got seven i've got more than seven teachers what you see in the documentary in fact the documentary that you watched is not the actual documentary i made i made a two-hour documentary you saw an hour and 40 minutes they cut 40 minutes out um the people who released it because and and when i went to the teacher's houses the first the first thing that become apparent an asian teacher comes out and just says tommy i took the money so what do you mean you took the money he said i took the money bro and uh, he said they paid us i said who paid you Kirklees Council, which is like the local government.
4: Mm -hmm.
5: The local government. And he was paid £18,000 to remain silent, to not tell the truth, to not open his mouth. And actually, what you don't see in the documentary, because they didn't release these parts, is I put in a Freedom from Information request to the council, wanting to know how much the local council had spent on non disclosure agreements. How much money they spent on buying the buying the silence? The actual figure was two hundred and seventy four thousand pounds.
4: Oh wow! So, so h- spent- how many people did they pay off exactly? Do we do, do we well, know? We know
5: because I had I had I had Kuma, then I had another teacher, then I had another teacher, and then I had the head teacher, and then I knock at another teacher's door, and the woman says, "You can't. Oh, my son can't speak to you." So it's his mother. I said, I, you you know who I am. She goes, I know who you are, but he legally can't speak to you. And then I say to her, did he sign a non disclosure agreement? She says, I says, and i say, was he paid? She says, I'm not saying anything. And then she (laughs) but then she, then she says, I can't, then she says, I can't speak to you either, Tommy. I said, why can't you speak to me? And she said, I'm the chair of governors. I said, you're the chair of governors. I said, did you did you get paid to sign an undisclosed agreement as well? She says, <laughs> and I'm like, so I, I said, so they paid everyone because Paul Kumar, the teacher who took eighteen thousand pounds, was nothing to do
4: with the story. Yeah, He's yeah, he wasn't do. there, right? I mean, he just had he experiences with Jamal.
5: <laughs> yeah, his, and his experience was with Jamal, which he says on camera is that Jamal would come down to the isolation unit to beat a girl up.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: That's pretty strong in the fact that I've said he beats girls up, yeah, for my mm-hmm. case. He also went on to say that Jamal was a liar. He made up stories. He lied, he lied, he lied, he lied, he lied. Now, this comes from his teacher. We, one of the lies he made up, he said that a boy had done something to him at school. Yeah. And when they investigated it, the boy, the boy wasn't even in school. Yeah. So the kids, the kids obviously got some issues. Yeah. He was, 50, he was uh, Jamal, I wanted this to be as least about Jamal, really because it's not about Jamal it's not about that Syrian refugee this story is far bigger than him he was just a pawn who was used in the middle of this exactly. he was a child he was a child who come to the uk in a troubled situation with a troubled past who had probably seen a lot of things none of us would like to see and he was rebelling. but the truth be he he was one of 20,000 Syrian refugees that were invited into our country through the united nations um ref- refugee resettlement programme. This was at a time when there was very strong opinion against that from the British public because we had the conflict going on with ISIS in Syria. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the British public were against these 20,000 being welcomed in. Now, if the truth was told, then one of these 20,000 has caused havoc in a school, hasn't been penalised for it. He gets, like, J- Bailey, the boy who pours a bottle of water on, on Jamal, was expelled for this, yeah? Jamal got caught with a knife and a screwdriver in his school bag. He wasn't expelled. He wasn't even punished. Yeah. So Jamal, because he's a Syrian, it's just like lots of the touchy subjects and the cultural sensitivity and all these issues, because he was a Syrian refugee. It seems like he got away with attacking girls. It seems like he got away with, but behavior that would have been otherwise dealt with in any other pupil that wasn't a Syrian refugee. And the public were told that it's like he, he had a broken arm in the video and, Jeremy Vine, who's a lead broadcaster in the UK, a lead journalist—well, men of be journalists, a lead—I'd uh, rather say a lead reporter because they report, they don't yeah. investigate. But um, he, um, he, he, he—he told the British public that Jamal had broken his arm in a similar racist attack. Now, what we find out from the school records and from the head teacher, the head teacher on cameras. Again, it's not, none of the allegations are me saying them. They're all coming from teachers. The head teacher says, Do you know how he broke his arm? He was attacking a boy four years younger than him. So he had a boy four years younger than him in a headlock. I went and interviewed that boy and found the child. It, it, it called the mum's child, the mum, the child's mum, a white slack. So it racially abused this, this, this child who was four years younger than him. Then it attacked him and someone pushed him off him. That's how he broke his arm. It was an accident. The police had already investigated how he broke his arm. There was no, there was no crime. Um, he was actually the violent per- perpetrator in that attack. And, but the British public weren't told any of that. The British public weren't told any of the history of what had gone on with Jamal or the fact that Jamal had allegedly made allegations to rape the, the boy who poured, poured a bottle of water on him to rape his, rape his nine-year-old sisters. The, the British public were just scared, given this little 10-second clip and then the story was pushed, and the journalists and the media pumped it around the globe, destroying so many countless lives along the way. The most mad thing about this, the maddest thing about this story, is they shut down the school. So <laughs> they like, closed oh, the school forever. It's gone. School's gone. <laughs> they, they 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 went up. It's like the head the head teacher said they when in, in the recordings he says they. He says, when I say they, me, Theresa May spoke about this incident at the G8 summit. Saw that. Yeah. That that's how big this was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And someone said, get rid of it. They said, get rid of this story. Yeah. Now to get rid of the story, they give non-disclosures to every teacher. Um, they then closed the school. They sent investigators to up, and the head teacher says, So the head teacher, when he, he'd worked there 20 years. They threatened him with his pension, according to him. They threatened him with his pension. They then made him sign a non-disclosure agreement and they escorted him off the school property. And he never worked a day since. But part of his non-disclosure agreement was he's not allowed to talk to any other teachers. So from that moment when they turned up at that school, he didn't get to speak to anyone. He didn't get a leavers assembly, didn't get a thank you, didn't get a leaving card, didn't get thank you for 20 years of service in this school, just you're going home, and you're not talking to anyone ever again. We're making sure that this story can never blow up. And then imagine how pissed off they must have been. They've spent two hundred seventy-five grand. They've closed the school, and then along comes Tommy Robinson with his hidden camera <laughs> just and just blow blows the, the shit spider. out, of <laughs> blows the shit out of the water. And so when I turned up at, when I turned up at court, I, I'm laughing as well as this is going on. I, I make a couple of little videos saying, I've got you nailed, yeah? Everything <laughs> you've told everyone, I've got all the proof against all of it. So I was I was compiling all this, making my film, thinking there's no way the judge can side against me. Yeah, right. he, he can't. Because I've produced all these videos to the judge. The judge has now watched the content from teacher after teacher after teacher. He's now aware that, because their, their case lodged on the fact That a a, the the mother that told me he beat her daughter up, she retracted her statement. She put out a retraction saying Jamal had nothing to do with it. Okay, which is what their case banked on. I went and knocked on her door, and she confirms the only reason she'd done that was because they threatened to rape her. Now I got that on the on the recording. So it's like, so I say, was Jamal involved? She says yes, he was. So to let the judge know. Just because the Islamic gangs in this area are powerful and strong, just because this mother has been intimidated into silence, doesn't change the fact that it was the truth. The truth was told, and I reported it. And that's it. And that's
4: what should matter. So tell me, when you say they threatened to rape her, who who exactly threatened to rape her? Like Jamal's lawyer or or his associates? Uh, So You mentioned an Islamic gang. I know things are structured differently there in England. You know, I mean, I think that what you're describing, this kind of invasion of refugees all across Europe is also happening here in the United States. It's a little bit different. We have plenty of Syrian refugees and African refugees, but we have a lot more landmass. So they've been able to kind of filter them out into society uh, in a more clandestine fashion. But we're experiencing millions of people streaming across the southern border right now because of the current administration. Uh, And so I feel like we're kind of reaching the point where we're going to see something very similar to what you've had there in England for quite some time. So who is it that said they would rape her? So Huddersfield, the town
5: where this incident happened, at this exact same time, had the biggest grooming gang scandal of our country's history. When I say grooming gang, what what that allures to is groups of Muslim men who are kidnapping torturing and raping young non-muslim children now the court cases were going on at this to- at this exact time for the i think 31 of them were sent to prison 31 men were sent to prison for the rape of uh, over 100 children yeah? now so this this town is has a real problem with islamic gangs who are raping children so when i say they with 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 the Islamic community, you'll you'll gather this if they've just now if America's being filled up. What's your immigration problems for years, but it's usually been Mexicans. When that when once you replace them with North African Muslims, Syrian Muslims, Afghani's, Pakistanis, Somalis, you're in trouble. You're going to witness something you've never seen. And and the thing being that if you declare if you have a, a problem with one Muslim one anyone you might as well have declared war on the whole tribe because they will all back each other they will come together and back each other without even knowing each other for an example growing up in Luton if you're out on a night out and, and an English kid happened to get in a fight with a Muslim kid they would jump out of taxis come out of chicken shops come for, come out of cars everywhere and they would all join in wow. instantly they join in the brotherhood and the protection of Islam and, and togetherness of Muslims, that is just how they operate. They all stand together. So when this incident blew up, all Muslims from everywhere, from all over the country, wanted to get Bailey and his family. They come from everywhere. They, the police intelligence said there was gangs coming in from Bradford. There was terrorism threats and everything. So when I say they threatened to rape the mum, she when she told us they, they threatened to rape me, That'll just mean local Muslims. So he should have had threats to rape. We we we're aware from the co I I covertly recording Bailey's neighbors. Bailey was the English boy who poured the bottle yep. of water on him. To find out what happened at the house when this happened. And he says cars of Muslims turned up. They were threatening to kill the mum, rape the little sisters. They were shouting they're going to blow the house up. So this is what happened instantly at this house. Muslims started converging on the property, turning up in their cars turning up outside the school gates, turning up, at, you see the imam turned up from this 40 yep. close to Kota Mosques. He turned up, uh, rabble rousing his Muslim crowd outside the school. This was all over a child because the other child who poured the bottle of water on him was a school child. This is just a school. All this was, was a school playground dispute that was used and blown up. And it was used to push a narrative. And that's where this story... Because you can use me in it, you can use what I was talking about. But this story could be replicated for anyone who goes against any of their narratives. That those narratives now that the unacceptable things you can't talk about, which used to just be open border immigration or Islam, have now shifted to COVID, to vaccines, to transgenderism, and 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 this to, to sexualization of children, to drag queens, all all these things now are in this box of things that they don't want you to talk about and when you do talk about them you can you can pretty much mirror what you've seen so i've managed to show this when you think about it i cover lots of news stories in the last year last 18 months i've made seven documentaries this this documentary is just one of the stories i covered and shows the behind the scenes of what happened during that one story this you know you said about them finding where my family lived Mm-hmm. When, when, my, when, when, I'm, when we separated in this story and my children were put into a new address, they went there again, the same lawyers. They sent someone there again. Yeah? So then my family had to move again. Yeah? They then sent someone, and there's video footage of this because my, my daughter rings me and says, Daddy, someone's outside, they're shining a torch through the window. Yeah? This is at 10.45 p.m., quarter to 11 at night. I'm literally driving through the area where my children were living and I'm with my son. I race to the house and I catch the man and the man and and, and I catch him and I take him out and he's on the floor. And then he's he's pleading that he's been sent there. So the lawyers, just to get to my family again, they made him go at quarter to eleven at night to deliver legal papers to me, even though they know it's not my house. They know we're divorced. And they know I don't live there. It's all all part of their little campaign. As you see, it's an entire campaign through the through the film, a campaign of harassment, a campaign of persecution and a campaign that's meant to make you stop.
4: So, Tony, if if this was you going to Jamal's house at 11 o'clock at night and like menacing him or threatening him or something, I mean, that would be a crime in the UK, wouldn't it? I mean, couldn't they arrest you and charge you with something? I would be in jail, more yeah. than likely, bro. So
5: yeah. it, it's like the the man the man on video that they sent to my children's home, Dick Coughlin, Dick Coughlin. Yeah? Oh, this is like you said, psycho YouTuber. <laughs> who said He said he's going to murder my children. Yes, yes, yeah, he's a, a real nutcase, yeah. He made a video saying he'll murder my children. That is undoubtedly a crime. That is an arrestable offence, but he was never arrested for it. The threats, the threats to my family, you see on the fu- you see on the documentary. The phone calls to my child, my son who's eleven. The phone fo- the phone calls to my ex wife, giving her ad- her address. It's menacing phone calls. It's malicious m- communications. At least it's um, intimidation of witnesses before a ha- co- high court trial, which is what they're attempting to do. The smashing up of my parents' house, the criminal damage against their house. All of this was a campaign of intimidation and to and it, and it was because they knew I was in possession of these videos that proved their entire story a lie now the video, it didn't stop because the judge actually was totally corrupt and he was bent, and he decided that the seven the five pupils who testified, one of them a grade A student who had a, a, a perfect school record, who was then studying law. He found that those five pupils, for no reason whatsoever, travelled down from Huddersfield on a three-hour journey to London to commit perjury. He—that's what he found. That he, his ruling and his judgment is from the most intellectual judge in our land. He found that they, everyone lied. The seven teachers, the head teacher, all of them who were on covert recordings, they all lied. And in his judgment, he says because he has to explain why they lied. Yeah, why would they do that? All of these people. Yeah? He says, sometimes people lie. They don't need a reason to lie. They just lie.
6: Wow!
5: That's your judgment. Your judgment after hearing all this evidence and testimony from five pupils and seven teachers is that every one of them lied and that Jamal, whose school record is littered with lie, 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 Jamal told the truth because Jamal didn't bring one single person to court to give evidence. There was no one that testified on his behalf. No one that... hit. Apparently, he was with people at certain times. No one come to court, just Jamal. Jamal and his dad, Jihad. And um, (laughs) I just, (laughs) I know. Man, the whole, whole, do you know what I find out then after this? I find out that the judge fell out with his own dad about me prior to the court trial. Oh, wow. Like his dad was supporting your sign? His dad joined a political group that I was part of. Yeah. So his, ja- his dad supported our politics and he'd fell out of his dad about it. So now, what
4: you, that means, do you think that this is, was retribution, his decision against you? Maybe ha- it was as a result of his father supporting you. I totally believe that if he,
5: after falling out of his dad about me, he couldn't have cleared me because it would have put him in a bad situation. He should have excused himself from this mm. court
4: trial. Absolutely. He never should have sat as a judge on this court trial. Never. So, so can but you did it. Can you appeal that decision because of that? I mean, uh, no. Again, the time ba- The time basis
5: has gone by. Okay. So, okay. so I, I did. I, I in the two-hour footage that I had, I had the fact that his, his father. I've got recordings. but I, I, I have also got. I've got recordings put away to depend where this goes. Mm-hmm. I've got recordings that show that his father had fell out of him.
4: Um, I'd like so, to see that. I, I think that would make for some good television. But uh, what, what about the, the expanded uh, version of this documentary? I mean, do you have have, it, have any inklings to release it at a later date? Is there a way we can watch it? Uh, is, is there an official uh, release from Tommy Robinson now that it's been released uh, unofficially?
5: Um, so now, now that it's unofficially released, I still have the argument in court that I haven't released it. It's not me. Sure. So I can still... So essentially, when I land back in the UK, if see, I, I, I look at it like this, if they decide to enforce the contempt of court proceedings against me, and it's currently with the attorney general, so the attorney general has accepted notification that she's received this complaint, an 80 page dossier of contempt proceedings against me. Now, if she decides to prosecute me, then there will be a court trial at the high court. I will plead not guilty. I will argue every part of this. The film will be pumped around the globe at that point. And they will bring more attention to this film than I could ever dream of by imprisoning me. If they imprison me for two years and I go I go to jail as a British journalist for two years because of that film, anyone who has watched that film, I believe, will become invested in this story. Sure. Because if you watch the film, it's so black and white. It, it's categor- The evidence is so damning against If you watch this film, so I'm sort of sitting here as a journalist. I've gone on a campaign, For my activism has brought me on a campaign for 10 to 15 years. I've been in and out of prisons. I face threats. I face violence. Nothing, I don't think, can really bring about the debate around free speech that I'd want there to be like them sending me to jail. So essentially, I don't want to go to prison. It terrifies me. But if they're sitting there weighing this up now, they, if they put me in jail, they make me a free speech ma. If they put me in jail, they bring, they highlight the corruption of the judiciary and the council and the media. They bring this film silence to the forefront of global news. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of like, not, 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 I dare you. Um, I sort of like, Go on then, if if that's what you want to do, then if if that's what you want to do, I will walk into prison and I will, 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 I will walk back out of prison. And when I do, I'll be taken even more seriously and trusted as a journalist than any of you. So yeah. um, I'm sort of just sitting, waiting. And as I said, I'm going to spend four weeks with my kids. And then when I go back, um, we'll see if the shit hits the fan. If the shit hits the fan, it's going to be a show trial. There's going to be a big trial and it's going to be a show trial. It's going to be a show trial of me walking to court asking, what is the problem? What is it that was factually incorrect in the film that you saw? In the film we're talking about here, is there anything that's factually incorrect that you want to argue with? No, there's not. So what you want to argue with is the fact that the public have been able to see the reality. And, and this is, when it, when it really dawned home for me, was about that it's about the narrative, not so much about me because I used to think it was about me and the, and the fact that I could galvanise people and they they disliked that so they wanted to end my end me. Um, the same court in the UK ruled against Johnny Depp, so they ruled that Johnny they ruled that jo, Johnny Depp beat his message, yeah. Now, obviously, when Johnny Depp got to to an American court and it was an open court and the public could hear the evidence, mm-hmm. then he his name was cleared. And then when his name was cleared journalists started looking at the judgment in the UK court to question it. Mm -hmm. How could they come to this judgment? And one journalist actually writes, the judge went against all evidence. The judge ruled against police officers' evidence, witness testimonies, and that judge went with the narrative. The narrative was the Me Too narrative. The narrative was male, bad, female, victim. That was the narrative they were pumping. And it didn't matter that it was someone like Johnny Depp. He he wasn't. He was a victim to the same to mm-hmm. the same course of conduct by the courts. Yeah. So, what the what what I'd love to ask for, or what I'd love, is just give me a bloody jury. I've if you I've never had a jury. I've never ever had a jury. Yeah. So I've been tried time and time and time again, imprisoned time and time again by judges, by elected or appointed judges. So much so that they actually. When they tried to do me in 2017 for the, I was put in jail for out, outside a grooming gang trial. Yep. I asked the men how they feel about their verdict. They, get, they, they swept me off the street, put me in jail for 13 months. I was in jail within two hours of doing my job for contempt of court. But we, we appealed it and I was released and they found I was released after three months and everything was said to be unlawful. They then put me back to the Old Bailey, the highest court again. They put me into the Old Bailey and the judge read it. And they were trying to retry me again. And the judge refused. I I gave my evidence to the judge. The judge looked at it and the judge kicked it back to the attorney general and said he's refusing to hear this trial. Yeah, They replaced that judge. So they they, they replaced the judge. They they appointed a female, the first female lead judge of the Old Bailey. They appointed this new judge, stuck the case straight in front of her Bang! She sent us me ten months in jail.
7: Rubber stamp. Rubber stamp.
5: (laughs) It's literally like it's like she got her. She got. I've watched it. I've watched it time and time again. She was promoted to do that. It's insane. I just sit there like, is this? Is this really happening?
4: Is this really happening? So so this, the, the, this this difference, this specific difference between American and British courts, I, I think it's a, an important distinction. So you, you say that you'd like to sit in front of a jury. Is it how do you go about getting a jury trial versus getting a, a, like a like a panel of judges or a single judge? Uh, because here in, in a situation like this, I mean, you, you would go before a jury if there was something like, you know, in, in regards to a civil case. Uh, so how, what is the process for that? So what they do, what they've done
0: with
5: me each time is whenever they've tried me, they drop the case to the lowest possible case because if it's the lowest case where you can get below two years in jail, you don't get a jury, yeah? Well, so okay. each, time, each, time they've, each time they've done mine, they've dropped it, so then I'm just before a judge every, every time. Now, with contempt of court, with, with libel, like this Jamal situation, you used to be able to have juries. They changed it. Some people still do have a jury. I I done, I done a podcast last week with a gentleman, Danny Lockwood, who had a jury for his lot, li- and, and I sat there and said, how did you get a jury? He goes, I, I, I'm like, if I'd have had a jury, if I'd had a jury for any of these things, I wouldn't have been in and out of jail. And, yeah, and I, wouldn't yeah. li- I wouldn't have lost this libel trial. So, but contempt of court is the only, the only rule, the only law where a judge has the power to imprison someone for two years without a jury, it's the only law. And it's contempt of court that they're, that they, that they're saying I've committed by breaching the injunction, because they're saying that I have, I have ignored the injunction. I could have put this film out at any time over the two years if I wanted to. Yeah. Once I found out it was going out, once I found out it was going out, there's nothing I could do to stop it. Once I knew that. Like I'm doing interviews with you now about it, they'll probably try to say somehow that that's a contempt of court. But I'm a journalist, and they're, they're, they've already limited my speech so much. Do you know, like this injunction that I received that I've got here? I've got another injunction. I'm appealing it. I'm in court in October. I was given another injunction where I put together a dossier about a journalist, and it was to prove that they're not actually journalists. You know you know the story of the bloke they're actually activists they're antifa activists, yes, and they're given and they're taken seriously by government by by media by all these different people when they're all they're doing is fighting their own political ideology yeah and they're they're attacking their political opponents they're using their position as journalists to attack this journalist had wrote like two hundred and sixty art two hundred and sixty articles about me yeah? <laughs> two hundred and sixty is like what what is going on she She had such a fetish for me but i'd um so i i then i then compiled loads of stuff straight away i was given injunction i'm not allowed to mention her name they took me to
4: court that's crazy that's crazy
5: i'm not even allowed to mention her name for five years so i'm appealing this again to try and get this next next mini documentary out um but again it's at the minute it's it's on the it's on the back burner it's just sat on the shelf
4: Wow. Uh, I mean, that's fascinating to me that somebody could write, devote that many words to you specifically, but then you're unable to defend yourself or, or talk about the situation. We have the exact you know same for? problem here in the United States, too. There's a publication called Media Matters that began as oh. like a hit. Yeah, yeah. They-
5: Media Matters are oh, hope, not hate. Hey, they are the equivalent. Media oh. Matters are identical.
4: Okay. Yeah. They're identical. I've got like there's like 30 articles about me on Media Matters. Uh, they, they have a major hard on for uh, people that are doing good work out there. Obviously, you, you're totally right. I mean, they have a political agenda. Somebody's foot in the bill. Uh, they're obviously uh, being well funded to devote all of this time and effort to smearing the good names of people who are trying to bring attention to, you know, subjects that are totally worthwhile. I mean, previously when you went to jail uh, for the coverage of the, uh, the the Muslim grooming gang, I mean. Uh, That just like beggars belief. I don't understand how anybody could, uh, you know, uh, be not okay with you covering what happened to these kids. I mean, bringing attention to something like that is uh, something I think people have a duty to do. You know, it's it's disgusting to imagine that they would be so caught up in this woke nonsense that they have to keep that quiet, stop people from discussing it.
5: And essentially uh, that as I was getting put in the back of the police van that day, yeah, I remember saying, more people are going to watch this video than ever. So sure. again, for my cause, co- for my cause, yeah. For my cause, that was the best thing they could have done. Yeah. It brought more people to talk about grooming. It brought a bigger spotlight about the rape of our daughters to the world by them locking me up. So again, they they get that they get that twisted about me and they want to ruin me. So I don't doubt that they'll probably bang me up for the maximum here and I'll end up doing a year of solitary confinement. But in doing that, they will embarrass themselves and humiliate themselves on the world stage. When you were just talking about this this journalist who wrote 260 articles, when I look in my film I was making, Saudi Arabia invests 40% of the newspaper. Literally the next week she starts writing her articles about me. (laughs) It's like they must have just come in and said, right, your job. Is Tommy Robinson? <laughs> Your job is him. That's it, and that's literally what her job was. But again, I'm not even allowed to mention her name. Do you know, do you know what they use? I've, I, she's wrote 260 news articles about me. I've got a stalking prevention order. Really? I, <laughs> I, I, I've <laughs> one. <laughs> I approached them once, which was for my for my video I was making, and they took me to court and gave me a stalking prevention order. It's just, it's insanity. It's stalking usually in the UK means more than once. I, I, I've done it once. <laughs> yeah,
4: there has to be yeah, like I mean, a pattern of events. I mean, you, you okay. can't well, I mean, the same here in the United States. If somebody says something about you someplace once or makes a video about you online, you're not going to be successful if you take that before a judge. Like, and even if you've got somebody who is like driving by your workplace, you know, five times a day and, and they're calling you and you won't, uh, they can't, you can't get rid of them. I mean, that's oftentimes not enough to do it either. I mean, there has to be a, uh, like a significant amount of abuse going on in order to get uh, a restraining order
5: one email and i and i knocked the door once and that was it and for my journalism i'm a journalist sure yeah? and that this was it's just my and it was to get her answers on allegations sure that i, put in, that I was putting together but as i said um it was a muslim judge as well <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I mean there's there's a common denominator here obviously. I mean it's all it's all about your uh, your 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 coverage of Islam really at the end of the day. They don't want you talking about it. They don't want the British public talking about it. Um and it's I think it's quite obvious to anybody looking at this from the outside. Uh, that there's a, a replacement or extermination agenda for the, the the British public, like native UK born people. They, they want to get rid of you guys. And uh, in order to do that, they are bringing in people from Muslim nations and, and refugees from all over the world, and they're just pushing them into society. Oftentimes, uh, they they have they have almost completely replaced you guys. I mean, it, you, I think you said in the documentary that Mohammed is the number one name in uh, in London and in many British cities. You've got uh, less than fifty percent of the people living there are actually like uh, natural born British citizens. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think. That's my hometown.
5: My yeah. hometown's less than fifty percent. My hometown is fifty percent Muslim. We have over forty mosques. So that what it is, what it is, is anything that would question government policy. Now, government policy has been open borders, it's been immigration, it's been refugees. So any of the problems that come from that, they embarrass their utopia idea of multiculturalism, which has failed significantly. Mm-hmm. Any, any issue like that would be they want the silence and they want to the hide because it, it brings question to their policies so if people are looking at so when i come around talking about islam they don't want to have the discussion about islam is islam good for the uk are the teachings good what are the teachings who was muhammad all these sort of questions which we're going to have to have this discussion at some point when you've changed the demographic of our country so much the vast uh, that, that we now have five million people who adhere to the teachings of muhammad and believe he was a perfect human being well who was this perfect human being what was his life like what were his actions did he behead? Did he rape? Yes, he did. He done both for them. What was he? A nice man? Was he a good man? Is he the man that we should be revering to? Is he the man that we want at a, a five that we want five or ten percent of our population to believe is perfect? What, what problems could that bring for society? What were his teachings? How did he view non-Muslim? All these sort of questions are, are just questions we we need to be able to ask. If you're changing the demographics of our country, Certainly. if you've and if we're seeing terrorism rates, if we're seeing rape rates, if we see like, for example, just so you get the statistics, Muslims make up 4% of the UK. They are responsible for 90% of the convictions of rape gangs in this section of grooming, 90% and 30% of the men convicted are called Mohammed. The question I always <laughs> want to ask is why? Why are the Sikhs not doing it? Why are the Hindus not doing it? Mm -hmm. How come the Jews ain't doing it? How come the Afro Caribbean Christians aren't doing it? How come no other gang or no other group or no other immigrant population that has come to the UK is raping in fathers? Because a lot of these groups, there's fathers and sons are raping girls together, brothers, cousins, all family. It's like it's like a crime that is happening in the UK that has never been seen before. Paedophiles usually act alone, they usually act individually, or they find depraved individuals who they don't know to share their sexual fantasies with. That's usually the MO of paedophiles. With this, it's just work colleagues. It's a taxi driver pulling up to six of his mates saying, I've got a little 12-year-old girl here, and all of them joining in. Not one person ever reporting it. No one saying, hold on a minute, this is a bit wrong. All of them uh, getting involved. Brothers, cousins, work colleagues, Um, it's something that's never been seen before and to understand it or to stop it certainly we need to understand it so that's where i I go beyond and finally if i'm honest bro we've got to a point where when we first started activism when i first started activism in 2009 they called us liars they they said we were um we were um just causing Paul's intentions. They said it was all bullshit. And then when, then as time's gone on, we've forced them to talk about it, forced them to bring awareness about it. Then, the, then come then come the Asian grooming gangs. So they were calling them Asian grooming gangs, which is unfair to the Sikhs and Hindus who are also victims of these gangs because they're not perpetrators. Well, so, I mean,
4: you say that sh- you say that it, it like evokes uh, e- the idea of like you know like a Korean or a Chinese or a Japanese yeah. or something like that. You know, I mean, you don't think necessarily Pakistani or Pakistan. uh, you know,
5: <laughs> and it's and, and it's purposely done. It's perp- it was per yeah. that word was purposely used again, to take the attention away from the Muslim community. And then we've shifted on now so that even now the media accept its Muslims and accept the majority of Pakistani. So when these gangs are described, we, we have shifted the over and window time and time again on this issue. We've forced it, and we've forced it again. The next, the, the next issue I want to force, or we've been trying to force, is why? Why are these men acting the way they are? Uh, what are the teachings of Islam? What are the teachings of muhammed? How is this somehow acceptable within within this community? That's the question, And when you ask that question, they literally want to kill you. They yeah. want to silence you, they want to attack you so
4: well, I mean, if that's a part of your culture, like the permissibility of raping and subjugating young girls then you know why would you want to give that up? I want you to answer that question, Tommy. I want you to tell me why it is that this is a phenomenon that we see, because it's not relegated only to the UK. I mean, Sweden is another place that has had just an overabundance of uh, Islamic uh, uh, immigration coming in. But before you uh, tell me that answer, um, has the perception or the attitude about this Also changed in the British public, because I know for a long time, I mean, people didn't really want to talk about this. I mean, you know, they were obviously told that if they did, they were racist, you know, they were lying and, you know, they were bad people. You can't bring this stuff up. But now that, you know, we are 15 years on from the start of this uh, grand experiment, uh, are are people are people beginning to confront it? And are they willing to do something about it so that you're not just a, a lone voice out in the wilderness? no um mm. so what the police have done
5: in each town and city they've made they've made these little handful of arrests so for example in telford I, I i've done a four-part series called the rape of britain looking at telford where we actually go after the gangs we go and find the men and we confront them with with our evidence that we've compiled over a 12 to 18 month investigation which so where i spent 12 to 18 months with 12 women and i tell their stories and in in telford we find out that Telford has a 1.7% Muslim population. And these are the statistics that people really need to get their head around. Yeah? Telford has a 1.7% Muslim population. So there's about three and a half thousand Muslims in the town. There were 1,000 victims. Four of them are dead. Yeah. So there's 1,000, 1,000 victims in that town, just in that town. The police investigation identified over 200 Muslims. The Independent Inquiry identified 360. Our investigation named 254. Yeah. So if we take it, 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 even if we take the lowest number there, which is the police investigation, which identified 200, when you take the Muslim population of Telford, the 1.7%, you get rid of the under-16s and the over-70s, and you get rid of the women, there's the 1,000 Muslim men that fit the age criteria that can be involved in grooming. Yeah? Mm-hmm.
4: Police,
5: identified two, police identified 200. That's 20%. 20% of the men in that town have been involved in raping children. That's a minimum number because the independent inquiry says it's 36%. Yeah. So these are these ones that have been identified. Yeah. Now, out of the 200 that the police identified as being involved in raping, they prosecuted 11. What about the other 189? Wow. But they, so they And they're doing this in each town. So then you get the headline newspaper, Telford grooming gang smashed, yeah? no no you've you've prosecuted 11 what about the 189 that have all raped children that yeah. are still r- still running the local mosque still working in the local council still running takeaways still running businesses still in, still in contact with children what about them so and the, and you can you can mirror this for every town and city so when i've just given you the figures for Telfordshire yeah? you've heard I, I believe you'd have heard of Rotherham the 1400 girls in Rotherham yes, that was yes. the big city now, Rotherham only has a 3.7% Muslim population, 3.7%. yeah. Literally, in both these cities, there's no Muslims. <laughs> and look at the figures, 1,400 kids raped, 1,000 kids raped. Jeez. So in the figures, in, in, in the towns and cities like Bradford, like Birmingham, like Luton, 50% Muslim population, you will never get the figures because they have infiltrated government and councils that far. So I'll give you an example. There was a recent scandal in a, town, a city called Oldham, I think 30% of the council in Oldham were Muslim, yeah? 30%, I believe, that's off the top of my head. But Oldham has a large Muslim population, not 1.7%, not 3%, we're talking 30 40%, yeah? So when, when it comes to the vote on an independent inquiry within the council to the grooming scandal, they all voted against it. So then there is no in- investigation. There isn't, you will never get the figures. So once the Muslims have infiltrated the system that deeply, in towns and cities, we we will never get the figures for those towns and cities. So we've managed to get the figures where there aren't any Muslims and they're horrifying. So the true extent of the problem, the British public have no idea about. The true scale of rapes, you're talking millions of rapes, hundreds of thousands of victims, is, uh, is, is again. And people act like, oh, it's been dealt with. No, it's not been dealt with. They've just arrested a handful, and they're acting and pretending it's been dealt with. These crimes are still happening now; they're still going on. And whilst these crimes are still going on, we still continue to import by the boatload, by the lorry load, by whatever way they want to come in. Thousands more men who think the same way, who will act the same way, who actually have just just last week in Skegness, well, there's migrant hotel. People didn't want the migrants in the hotel. They've put the Muslim migrants in the hotel. Straight away the next week, one of the local women has been raped in the park by the migrant, Mm. So, by the Islamic migrant. So whilst all these virtue signals continue to say refugees welcome, these refugees are coming into the country, they're committing rapes, they're committing murder, they're committing terrorism, and and the fact that one of them has done it, but not just one of them, dozens and hundreds have continued to. We had a mad story. This is a mad story. We had a mad story in Bournemouth recently where a Royal Marine was stabbed to death by an afghani migrant yeah now what we then found out the afghani migrant had come to the country and he'd been put in school saying he was 14 whereas he was actually 18 yeah so he'd gone through our school process pretending he was a child we find out that before he got to the uk he'd shot two people dead with an ak-47 in serbia so an islamic migrant from afghanistan had killed two people he then arrived in the uk on a boat pretended he was a child, got put into a school. He'd been aggressive towards the girls at school. That's all come out afterwards. He's then gone on to murder someone, 21 years old. All, every one of these failings, no one is brought to justice for. I'm talking the Muslim lad is in jail for murder, but all the people that let them in, all the people that have continued to fail on our security on the border, um, the people who have put them into, he, he was put into schools with our daughters as an adult male Adult Muslim migrant who's an adult murderer and he's put in sitting next to your daughter in school in maths. It's insane. That's wild.
4: <clears throat> okay, so that brings us to why. Why, why do you believe this is happening? I, I thought Islam was a religion of peace.
5: So there are four verses in the Quran that specifically direct Muslims that outside of your four wives, you can take whatever your right arm possesses, yeah? the arm of the sword. So outside of your four wives, you can take sexual slaves it's made very clear one of the verses actually says you are blameless so you are blameless yeah so as long as they're muslims are at war when we have house of war house of god islam splits the world in two it's a house of war the house of god house of god islamic countries house of war non-islamic countries yeah so as long as that muslim believes he's at war he's allowed to take non-muslim women as sexual slaves and i say well is anyone denying the fact that these children in Rotherham or in Telford have been taken as sexual slaves. Is anyone going to count that argument? No, they agree with that. Okay, so we've got thousands of girls who are taken as sexual slaves. We've got thousands of men who follow a book that tells them specifically, verse by verse. I actually give a speech, if you put in Tommy Robinson, Tommy Robinson, Russia, I give a speech called The Rape of Britain in Russia. It was in St. Petersburg, was it in St. Petersburg or Moscow? Uh, th- this is the sad thing. To find a venue and to be able to talk about these issues, I have to go to Russia. <laughs> it's
4: a great <laughs> irony. <laughs>
5: you know what I mean? It's, been, it's been, but I went to Russia and I gave a speech and what I'd done was I took what the men had said in the court trial. So I went through all the court trials. For example, one man, one man in a Somalian man in the Bristol case said he, it was his religious duty to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, why did he say that? Another girl literally says they were quoting the Quran as they were raping her. So then we go through what the, what the men said, what the girl said, then we go through the Islam, Islamic scripture and see if there's a justification for it. And each time we literally find the verse, word for word, that the men are, men are talking about. So the reason why is that Muhammad took non-Muslim women as sexual slaves, it's, mm-hmm. as war booty, It's justified. It happens now. It's justified now by Islamic nations. It, it, at war, you can take the non-Muslim women as sexual slaves. It's what the surrounding countries to Israel told them they were going to do with their daughters, literally the leaders of those in the Seven Day War, told them, we're taking your women, we're taking your children, yeah? we're coming for them. That's because Muhammad did. And everything that Muhammad did... And, and the reason why it should be so, we have to look at the scripture. There was an attack. I don't know if you remember the, Peshwar school, the Peshwari school attack in Pakistan. That sounds familiar, yeah. The, the Taliban surrounded a school. And we were told they surrounded a school and they massacred the children. But they didn't. Yeah? What they did is they pulled the pants down of the children. And anyone who started puberty was, was killed. And that comes down... To Islamic scripture where Muhammad done exactly the same. He took the Kayuba tribe, he took a Jewish tribe and he pulled the pants down, and anyone who started puberty was killed. Yeah. Anyone else was taken as slaves. Right. So the teachings are literally co- copied by the radicals to the words and to the actions of Muhammad. So whatever actions Muhammad done, there's one, there's one story where he walks past a, he walks past a, a slave woman. In fact, this, this, this Jewish tribe, when he'd massacred them, so he massacred the husband and the son and he took Sophia that night as his wife, as his wife. <laughs> he took her as his wife. Like she willingly married him after being, after right. watching her dad and husband, after watching her family beheaded. She, she then that night, he bedded her that night, which means he raped her that night. Yeah. Yeah? He, he raped her that night. Now, these are the actions of the perfect man, according to these people. So whatever he's done is the level of what can be done. Mohammed married Aisha when she was six years old. He consummated that marriage. He raped her when she was nine. So the legal age for sex, which I've had many discussions, if you follow my work, outside courts, in the street, with imams, I asked them, what should the legal age for sex be? when a girl starts her period. So a girl can start her periods at 10, 11 years old. That means she's fair game. Yes. You'd marry your daughter for that age. Yes. They, it, our, our country seems to think that once they cross the border from Afghanistan and they enter into the UK, they're going to liberalize their minds from what they've been taught their whole life or, or this book that they're following. So that's the reason why, mate. The reason why is because Islam prohibits it. Islam allows it. Islam sanctions it. um, Rape, is sanctioned within the Quran of non-Muslim women. People may not like to hear that. You can go and find the verses yourself. It's all in there.
4: So uh, we're about to open up the phones. I've got a couple of people who are already on the line, ready to speak with you. Um, But before we do that, just... Why is it that only certain, I guess, sects of Islam are engaging in this type of practice? I mean, you mentioned uh, you know, Sikhs don't do it. I mean, they seem to be pretty chill. Everybody that I've ever met that was a Sikh, you know, seemed to be had their head on straight. Uh, and obviously, you know, we, we don't have uh, uh, with I feel like if everybody was doing it, we would have a, a far more prevalence of, of this type of behavior. I mean, is it certain types of uh, followers of Islam? I mean, what, what where's that differentiation?
5: There's a differentiation when it comes to radicalization and extremism. It's different sects of Islam, it's Wahhabism, it's Salafism, which is really, those sects are, it's Diyabandiism, but those sects are bringing, are attempting to literalize the Quran. Mm-hmm. So they are literal interpretations of Islam. Now, most Muslims, many Muslims, don't follow Islam to the word, just as many Christians don't. Many Muslims treat Islam and the religion like a buffet. They take the pieces they like to help them in their life, and they ignore the real bad bits, and they sure. just they, they ignore that, which is great that the vast majority, that's, that's, just, that's the majority of Muslims I've met growing up, don't live their life by Islam. But when they do want to take this book and literally interpret it, it will turn them into bad people. Sure. That's it. It will turn them into bad people now with regards to the rapes because there's allegations that lots of these men aren't even living islamic lives they're taking drugs they're they're they're, they're, they're drinking alcohol Well, with regards to the rapes and the sexual assaults it's it's like we need an independent inquiry into the quran and to see if the quran legitimizes and allows this and justification why are the families or what, why do these men always have huge, court, huge people supporting them in court? Any other paedophiles don't have anyone supporting them in court. Everyone's too embarrassed to support them. With this lot, they're all turned up cheering for them. Their families, saying that they're saying the girls are slacks. That's what they're, they're all shouting. That the girls are slacks. The girls, you know, the eleven-year-old girls, they're slacks. So um, yeah. And with regards to Sikhs, Sikh, you're absolutely right. Sikhs. You see, if we've got if your country has a problem and needs immigration into it, get the Sikhs. Because you cannot have a community who are who are still very religious when they're at home. Yeah, they're very religious, but they are also very patriotic to the home.
2: No
1: fighterflare.com.
5: very um you literally i i mean i've i've been brought up with every group of immigrants and and there are none better than the Sikh community you could not ask for better hard working but the biggest proportion of property owners in the uk percentage wise biggest proportion of business owners very family orientated very patriotic um and hard working
4: yeah all right Good stuff. All right, you guys, we're going to open up the phones in just a moment. But first, before we do that, I need to say a big thank you and a shout out to the sponsors of the second half of the program. Uh, and of course, that's going to be my friends at Oneness Drops com where you can get yourself chlorine dioxide water purification kits. Chlorine dioxide is an amazing substance; it will kill a number of pathogens in water, make non-potable water safe to drink. And when you order it from this website, which you can get to the link in the description below, and I'm sure my mods are going to be dropping it as well, use code RP78 to save fifteen percent off your entire order every single time you order. Uh, also, over at My Patriot Supply, prepare with RedPill78.com. You can pick up your four-week supply of emergency food with $80 off every single order. These are up to 16 varieties of food, breakfasts, lunches, dinners, over 2,000 calories a day. When you do the math, it works out to less than $3 per meal. If the proverbial-ish hits the fan, then uh, you're going to want to have some of this on hand. So thank you very much for that. And then finally, our good friend Mike Lindell at MyPillow.com. When you use code RP78, you can save up to 80% off of everything that. That Mike offers, whether it's the My Pillow, My Pillow 2.0, the mattress topper, the mattress itself, the Mikey's a dream sheets, the slippers, the bathrobes, the towels, <laughs> uh, all of it. Get in there, get some of that stuff, and uh, support My Pillow, Mike's uh, uh, mission to bring election integrity back to this nation. And then, of course, continue to support the show right here. So, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. We're going to be bringing in our very first caller, and that looks to be. Our Australian correspondent, DJ Vector. Let's bring Vector on in. And uh, thanks again, Tommy, for hanging out with us. It's been a great conversation and I really appreciate all of your work. Uh, I think it's vitally important. I mean, uh, I, like I said earlier in the show, I mean, I've been following your work for years and it's, it's just shocking to me how People have reacted to the information you've brought out. You know, I mean, like it's like I feel like you know, people in America. I mean, we get it; we're listening to it. But the response from the uh, the authorities in the UK, uh, you know, they would rather imprison you than imprison these roving gangs of pedophiles who are, are not just raping children, but I mean, there are murders there, and, and and the the damage that's done to these kids is incalculable. I mean, we're talking about Years down the line, who knows what they're going to get into, who knows how damaging to their psyches it's going to be. Uh, I mean, the the true toll is is going to be shown 10, 15, 20 years down the line after you've got a couple of decades of this behavior just tearing through the fabric of British society.
5: We we, we look at that in uh, The Rape of Britain. One of the girls, 15 years later, tries to kill herself whilst on the phone. Wow. So we, we, look, we look at the effect... Um, it's had on all of the families not just the girls their families their mums their dads their brothers um entire entire
6: community is destroyed our community is destroyed all right uh vector you're on the phone how you doing buddy i'm good thank you zach uh hello to your audience hello to tommy it's a pleasure to meet you sir i've, I've been following you for many years i've seen your uh uh then also on alex jones i think and um uh, I didn't know that you had been to jail and it's got this bad. So I I just have to salute you for being so courageous and doing this in the first place because it has to be done, obviously. um, I don't have a lot of time but because I've got to run to work, but I've had a couple of things that I wanted to bring up. What are your thoughts about these sorts of topics uh, from an Australian perspective? That's probably the first thing, especially Australia is a very multicultural country. Don't seem to have quite the same problems, but I know that we do. Uh, especially uh, from what I understand from uh, all sorts of different countries that uh, we've brought people in from. that they're, they're not really friendly to the country. They hate Australia. They hate our way of life. They hate our morals and values, whether they're from African countries or wherever. You know, like I'm not uh, against immigration just as long as it's legal and, um, you know, people, when they come, they assimilate and they love the country and, um, you know, they're, they're not here to destroy our way of life. Um another question i had is uh Julian Assange and what's going to happen with with him bro um and uh and finally the Aussie Cossack was jailed for 10 months in maximum security because he revealed the identity of a pedophile during a court case that had a suppression order so um uh there's a lot going on in Australia as well so if-
5: when was it, when when did that happen when did that happen with the Aussie Cossack
6: I think that was last year. So, um, you know, he, 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 they didn't give him much representation. They didn't hardly let him see his lawyers and his wife and he had all sorts of dramas. He, I think he's out of jail now, but uh, he's been through hell as well, um, even though he technically did break the law. But, you know, um, yeah, we don't like pedophiles here in Australia. Go ahead, sir.
5: Ah, who does? The, the, the problem is when the law protects the pedophiles more than it protects the victims, um, then fuck the law. <laughs> yeah. But... but um with, with regards to um, Julian Assange, so I actually spoke to Julian Assange in 2000, when I went to jail, 2019, 2019. So 2019, I was put in HMP Belmarsh, and, um, which is a maximum security jail, which is where Julian Assange is. And I was put there for the next, the next part of my sentence when they took me back to court and retried me for the asking a Muslim paedophile how he feels about his verdict. How he feels about his sentence, they put me back in jail again the year later. Yeah? And um, when I went in there, I went into I went into Belmarsh Prison and come out of Belmarsh Prison without seeing another prisoner. The only person I without seeing any other prisoners, the only person I I saw once was Julian Assange and spoke to him twice because well, I was in my own isolation unit. So I had my own little unit where my family would be brought to that unit. I didn't have to leave the unit at all, so there was no chance of people getting getting to me because they, I was at risk from um, – well, I was at risk because they put me in h and Belmarsh, which houses the most terrorists in the country. Yeah. But, um, but Julian Assange was in there, and I spoke to him twice. And if I'm honest, from what I, re- what, what I was told by the prison guards and by another – someone else who I was shouting to the windows for, he was in a mentally destroyed place already then, emotionally
4: breaking down every day, crying his eyes out, um, which right. is to be ex- – <laughs> He's had a stroke while he was in there too i mean uh did did, did that seem like uh, there was uh, some lasting effects from that um I don't know if that was before then
5: but, but to be to be i'll be honest with you i only spent I, i've i've done i've done one year of solitary confinement in in different stages now i i went into jail one person and come out another, and I only spent three and a half months of solitary confinement at that time. And I went in, and when I come out, I was frazzled. Yeah, and I say I was frazzled. My ability to connect with my family, my ability to um, to feel feel the way I felt, everything was affected, and it was a long term effect. It took it took ages. I was diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder, and I only spent three months. Yeah, Julian Assange has now spent years and years and years, and. On top of that, you can couple all the other added stresses of the fact that there's no light at the end of the tunnel for Julian Assange. So, with me, I knew I was getting out, and it still messed with my head. It still totally broke me, yeah, at, at, at that time. So, it, at, because oh, for, 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 for solitary confinement, you're only illegally allowed to do 28 days because anything over 28 days is um, is problematic for your mental health. So, but they when when it was me, they got around that. They 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 took me from. Um, they took me from Wandsworth Prison. Twenty-eight days later, they shipped me to Bedford Prison, put me put me in solitary confinement. Twenty-eight days later, they moved me to Woodhill Prison, that put me in solitary confinement. Twenty-eight days later, they moved me back to Wandsworth, then to Wayland. So I'd done twenty-two weeks like that of them moving me to get around their legal their legal requirements of um, the mental health issue. But Julian Assange right. was in a bad way. The staff said he was in a, he was mentally not well. The staff didn't seem to like him either. From when I was questioning them about him. They, they said he's an arsehole. Um, but I, I believe he was, uh, Yeah, I, I believe he's mentally, got mentally destroyed already. Wow. So I believe what's happened to him is a form of torture. I believe it should be viewed as such. He should be released. He was a journalist showing and embarrassing governments on what they were doing wrong. Um, he should be freed. I'm just absolutely gutted that when Donald Trump was in power, he didn't pardon him.
4: Yeah, I got to say yeah. that was uh, definitely something I was disappointed in as well. And and you can't forget the years that he spent living inside that one room in that embassy, you know? In I mean, the embassy,
5: like that's yeah, 6 years. God. 6, yeah. six, years.
6: six Tell six years. me, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think Trump didn't pardon Julian Assange? I don't know because I was adamant
5: he was going to I really thought he was going to and he should have. And and essentially, it was, it was WikiLeaks that helped with all the Clinton stuff as well during the election uh yeah. the emails sure i don't know i don't know what do you think
4: i've got some ideas is... <laughs> head go ahead well okay so <clears throat> you know they they spent the entirety of trump's first term in office trying to connect him to russia they despite lack of any evidence they connected those emails that wikileaks re- released to russia if Trump would have uh, shown any favorability towards Julian Assange, if they would have if you would have pardoned him, uh, then they would have said, well, look at that. You know, that's proof positive that Ru- that Trump and Russia are working together. It was in a real r- between a rock and a hard yeah, place. Yeah. And I think that there was also uh, I, I think that he also had people in his administration who were just straight up giving him bad advice. And, you know, people may not like it. That I say that uh, because people like to, um, I guess, romanticize uh, Trump's ability. and and his knowledge about situation, but I mean, just, I mean, I think that he looked at running the country in the same way that he looked at running his businesses. You know, he was the CEO of the Trump Organization. You delegate authority to people that you trust for certain tasks and certain decisions. They come to you, they say, this is what we recommend to you. Uh, And I think that when it comes to Julian Assange, uh, you know, they they probably told him that he couldn't pardon him, and that uh, they were just going to have to wait. And that's a bummer. Uh, I really wish that it would have been different because i don't think julian deserves to be in there i think he's been treated horribly now you said that uh you, you it sounded like the guards didn't care for him i mean i would probably be a dick too if i was in that situation but you know i i always wondered uh the way that they treated you i mean putting i mean it seemed like they wanted to put you in a situation where you might get murdered by islamic gangs in prison do you think that was the case
5: it was the case uh, in 2017, it wasn't the case in 19. So when I went to Belmarsh, it was the total opposite. Um, I couldn't speak highly enough of the governor of Belmarsh. He'd done everything he could to make sure that I had a stable and normal prison sentence. <laughs> Whilst I was put on isolation and solitary confinement, um, he still um, supported the fact that they, they got me an exercise bike so I could get into a room for an hour a day. They he done everything he could. Um, there was no risk to me, um, which in other jails and previously had been the total opposite. So I think that by that point in 2019, it had blown up so much my situation. I think that when they sent me a jail originally outside Leeds Crown Court, the int- that they were going to let them kill me. That's what I to- totally believe. But 660,000 people signed a petition, 30,000 people marched on Parliament. Your congressman... Um, congressmen from the united states have flown into the uk to to, to argue my point um it becomes such a uh political topic topic that they couldn't and i remember thinking that those tens of thousands of people thousands of people who signed petitions or were taken to the streets all over the world had kept me alive because at that point um they were forced to 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 keep me safe and because they, they moved me in the first couple of weeks from a four percent muslim population jail to HMP only, which has the highest proportion of Muslims in the UK. So that's not a mistake. They don't accidentally move Tommy Robinson from a low Muslim po- population to the highest. Sure. That was the. So, but then I, flip, I believe that the public's reaction to my imprisonment probably saved me and um, made it very difficult for them. So at which point I
4: was just held in solitary confinement. So, so Tommy. Are, have you been approached by any Muslims who are not in favor of uh, molesting and raping and subjugating children? I mean, uh, is is there any like segment of the UK Muslim population that believes in the work you're doing, trying to put a, a spotlight on this stuff? Um. Yes.
5: Yes. To say yeah, there's a lot of Muslims that are disgusted. There's okay. a lot of Muslims. Especially. There's a lot. Look, I, 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 as I said, I'm born in Luton. I've grown up in Luton, um, so some of the best people I've met growing up, growing up as well, are Muslim lads yeah, who are who, who are who, who I know and who I've associated with throughout my life. Um, they'd be as angry as me, but due to the teachings of Islam, they can't come out against their fellow brothers. So they, for them to come out, it's like. I remember my, my mate Nasser saying, when we was going out against the extremists, he goes, bro, all our family would be in trouble back home if we were to speak out in Pakistan. He was saying to me, our, our family would be in trouble if we were to come out against these extremists. Because the, a lot of the Pakistanis in Luton are from, um, are from Kashmir, which is a very backward area of Pakistan anyway. Oh, yeah. And the radicals, the radicals will run it back home. So if if the if the people spoke out here, their family may be jeopardized. That's what my mate was telling me anyway. So but there are a lot there there have been there have been Muslim voices There have been Muslims who have spoken out. But per se, (coughs) per se,
4: it's um, they're either scared to or not willing to.
6: All right, Uh, Vector, do you have anything else for Tommy? Before I go, I just wanted to comment quickly on France and just say uh, this is all being done deliberately, ladies and gents. Uh, it's to weaken and destroy the West, to replace us. I don't care how conspiratorial everybody thinks that I sound. Uh, for me, that's the truth. Look at the open southern border in the United States. How many terrorists are going over there? Do you know any actual terrorists on the watch list are being uh, apprehended at the southern border that we know about? So this is all being done deliberately. It wouldn't surprise me if there's going to be more uh, train derailments and things like that um, before I go. Tommy, uh, what do you think? Do you think that that uh what happened in France is coming to a town near you, whether it be in the UK? It's coming, it's coming, or it's coming the
5: everywhere. States. It's coming everywhere. This this whole open border policy is not a mistake. It's not all of a sudden all, all of the borders are open, Biden's let three or four million people through. You're exactly right. They are bringing it in to destroy your communities and destabilize your communities and weaken your communities. And when they weaken them, they're easier to control. I believe that these these people are being brought in, they're being used as well. But there will be mass carnage in the years to come across Europe. There'll be attempts for jihadi revolutions, um, which is basically what was going on in France last week. Islamic uh, is a mini Islamic revolution against the state um, for the last couple of weeks. But you're right. I believe that the borders are like it's planned. Literally, they step they took Gaddafi out in order to open the floodgates of Europe. Mm -hmm. Because whilst he was there, they couldn't do it. They took him out because he was bringing his own financial monetary system, whatever other reasons. But he was the block on Europe. By taking him out, they've opened the floodgates to Europe. They're flooding flooding our nation. Literally, these NGOs, which are all supported and funded by corporations and globalists, these NGO organisations, they literally get 10 metres off the beach. They're then ferried in boats the entire way. And they're not being stopped. How easy would be with, with the British military, the British Navy? How easily could we stop these immigrants from coming in if we wanted to? Quite sure. easily. <clears throat> the same way Hungary. Look at what Hungary have done. Hungary have said like that they're we give asylum if they are out of the country until they're granted asylum, and then they're brought in. And Hungary have fortified their border, closed down all their immigration centres, and kept the border safe. It would be easy. If the will was there by other European nations to do the same, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a problem. But if the will's not there, you you saw under Donald Trump with the, with the southern border. Um, and then this is not a mistake. What's happening is not a mistake. It's not a fluke. It's not organic. It's planned. And exactly as the gentleman says, um, it's to destroy the West, to weaken the West, to weaken all of us, to make sure we're all fighting each other whilst they're taking away our freedoms.
6: Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure well, to meet you, sir. I, I need to go. Thank you very much, Zach. Uh, it's a really big pleasure, uh, Tommy. I hope, hopefully we get to talk again soon. Thank you to your audience, and uh, I love you all. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank
4: you, Vector. We'll see you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, somebody in the chat wanted to know if you still speak to Ben Fordham on Australian radio, or have Ben's handlers put a stop to that? I'm not familiar with him.
5: No, I haven't spoke to him for ages. No, I haven't. So okay. that's a blast from the past. But um, I don't know if his handlers have put a stop to him. I don't know what Ben's up to nowadays. I have no idea. Um, yeah, no idea at all. Okay. I still speak to Avi. Abby. Avi's got his book out in Australia, isn't he? Um, do, you, do you follow Avi Yemeni?
4: Uh, I ha- Abby? I'm familiar with him, but I haven't seen anything from him recently. But yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think I'm he does Andy good for- stuff.
5: He's brilliant, man. Yeah. I'd yeah. say he's the top journalist around the world that I like to watch. And right I like his attitude. I like his charisma. Um yeah,
4: he's brilliant, man. Yeah, he's pretty funny for sure. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our next caller. It's alive and thriving. And alive and thriving, you're on the air. Go ahead and unmute my friend. How you doing?
7: I'm good, Zach. Awesome. God bless you both. Namaste, Tommy, blessings through this trial and tribulation period of you know, another trial and tribulation period in your life. Um I got a question for you, sir.
5: I love the top right. Yeah, thanks.
7: I love the top. <laughs> we've got some we've got so many mosquitoes here in Florida that there's actually a, a movement now where people are uh attracting bats and building bat boxes. So like I'm literally becoming the batman <laughs> in my neighborhood. <laughs>
6: That's awesome.
7: <laughs> yeah, <they> eat mosquitoes. <laughs>
4: so
7: um what is it that is keeping you going through all of this? Why, With all the persecution, why do you keep doing it?
5: So originally, just so when I first started my activism with the English Defence League, I used a fake name, Tommy Robinson, yeah? As as you know, that's not my name. So I used a fake name and I had uh, two businesses and between me and my partner, we had seven properties. I was young and my passion was making money. And the police froze my assets in the first year. They closed my bank accounts and they froze everything. They put me under a financial restraining order that prohibited me from earning money, that prohibited me from spending money. Yeah? If they hadn't done that, I very much doubt any of you would have heard of Tommy Robinson. The reason being is I wasn't brave, I wasn't courageous, I was as scared as everyone else. But that's why I used a fake name. Yeah? So I used a fake name and I wore a mask. So all the people who are worried and I was one of them. Yeah, I didn't just go out and say, "Right, well, I'm going to say all of this. And I'm going to take this on. So when they froze my assets, they sort of pushed me into a corner. They took away my passion of work and making money and business. And I was left with the English Defence League. If they hadn't have done that, um, because I never would have willingly chose to give up everything. Yeah, But they took everything. So they sort of pushed me down this way. And then I become the best leader the English Defence League had ever had because I was that determined and that focused on the English Defence League because because they'd they'd froze everything else. So I look at it and think what what originally I was in the same boat as everyone else. If you're sitting there with a good job and you're sitting there and you're concerned but you're worried about talking out, I was you. I was I, I was scared. I was fearful of losing my um, losing my businesses, losing everything else, um, like everyone else's. So originally they pushed me into it they pushed when they pulled my mask off which was when they uh i think the times newspaper exposed who i was it was going to be the best thing or the worst thing it was either going to end me or make me and it made me because i am i am stubborn i am determined if you tell me not to do something i don't know what if you tell me don't draw a cartoon of mohammed i'll draw 10 yeah it's just how i've always been and i think that what the main thing is i know i'm right um, I know I'm morally right and just in everything I'm saying. I'm not coming from an angle of hate. It would be impossible to do this and, and go through all these scenarios if it was based on hate. It's never been based on hate. It's based on love. I love my children. I love my country. I love, I want them to have a safe and prosperous future. And I want to preserve and say uh, a safe country for them. And quite frankly, everyone knows we're not going in the right direction. <laughs> Everyone knows we're in a worse position now than we were last year. And every year it's getting worse and worse. So I think my, my bitterness, my determination comes from my realisation of what the future holds if we don't win, if we don't change things. I, and, and trying to have this conversation with, with someone who's, like my ex-wife, trying to have this conversation with someone who's not awake to anything and trying to, trying to say that, no, 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 seriously, in the coming years if someone has to fight i will fight yeah i don't want my son i don't want my son to have to fight and i believe we're all going to have to fight and mm-hmm. i truthfully believe that if we don't use simple things such as speech now and we don't use our freedom of speech and express our speech and 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 use that to solve these issues
4: then it's going to come to a time when we're all going to be fighting for survival Tommy, um, let, let me let me ask you this: What, what do you think it's going to take? Because you know, like I said, we're we're 15 years on from the start of this grand experiment, and things have uh, only devolved. They've gotten worse. I think that all of our worst fears have been proven to be true over and over and over again. And if the attitude of the British public isn't coming around to align with you know the information you're putting out and 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 the recommendations you're making. What is it going to take for people to finally say, hey, enough is enough?
5: Well, 22 dead kids in Manchester at the area Grande concert didn't wake everyone up. No. That's what I, I ask myself. What is it going to take? It's going to take a hell of a lot more bloodshed. It's going to take... I believe that... I believe that the... And I believe this from the feeling I get when I travel the country. People are awake. People are awake to COVID. People are awake to the vaccine. People are awake... That has helped. Certainly the Certainly. whole COVID situation has helped enlighten people, awaken people, make them question things more than ever, question what they're told about different people, question narratives by government. So it's definitely helped. Now, I think that when, when it swings from left to right, it will swing so quick, so fast, that all these people who have been oppressed, all these people who have been silent, these people who are whispering, these people who, who are feeling a certain way, when that moment comes, it will come so quick, so fast and i 'll be able to stop it. Who knows what will be the defining moment in history that changes that? Who knows how many people have to be killed? maybe they 'll massacre a school. Who knows what they 're going to do? Who knows what moment it will be? But I still have faith that when it turns, it will turn quick, it will turn fast, and when English people rise or Brit- the British public rise. Um, there 'll be no stopping them, and, and those people won 't be whispering anymore they 'll be screaming, shouting, and demanding and I believe that at those at that time, when that time comes, maybe it 'll be when Me Penns voted in France and she tried to enforce law against the Muslim migration the Muslim migrants there, whatever moment it'll be, all those people in the public are going to look to people like us they 're going to look for who was telling the truth the whole time they 're going to look at the rest of them like liars and frauds that they are they 're not going to trust them. And there'll be a moment and a time there, which will be for, I believe, people like us to lead, uh, lead people at that, um, at that moment, because I believe that um, everything we're going through, censorship has been a, a mass problem for us in our, in our battle. Um, the fact that we've managed to continue talking and to continue our work and continue our activism, continue people even hearing our names has been an achievement with everything that's been lodged against all of us. Um, who have been deplatformed? So I think that all eyes on the American next American election. I think a lot of things will stem from that as well. Um, again, we have to have hope. If I don't have hope, what else have we got? I hope Donald Trump wins the election. I hope that he comes in more bullish than ever. I hope that he realises time to, to end so many on the other side and it's time to end these games. Um, I think there's many things he could have done in his first presidency that he didn't do, and hopefully this time he will. So... Who knows? I think, unfortunately, the answer is a hell of a lot more chaos yeah. and a hell of a lot more. I think more 2024
7: chaos. will be the, will be the height of peak stupid here, yeah. and everywhere. Um, Tommy, uh, it kind of sounds like what you're saying here is that uh, ultimately, in order to defeat "quote unquote" evil, we we have to employ like an Aikido principle in that for a moment in time, we have to allow the attacker into our personal space to redirect their energy, which then ultimately in Aikido just knocks them off balance and then they fall down. But like in this grand war that we're in spiritual war, or physical war, we have to let them within the borders of our countries so that we can rightfully identify who the combatants are so that we can then, you know, I'm a Marine. So in, in Marine Corps terms, take them out.
5: We, we, we need, we need it to accelerate and happen as quick as possible because the amount of Muslim migration, the amount of demographical change, at some point is going to become irre- irreversible. When you already look at many towns and cities, se- irreversible without chaos and carnage. Anyway, when you look at France, how does France solve its problems? How does England solve its problems without chaos or carnage? I don't see a solution anymore. Um, but, but you have to have. But what the, what Marine Le Pen will need. When she needs to enforce the law, she will need the mass support of the French public. And the problems, like you've seen last week, will certainly help to bring that about. So the more of those riots, the more of that chaos in France, in Sweden, across Europe, the more it gives the ability for the the people who are politically going to be in power. Mm -hmm. They need the support of the public to be able to do what's going to be needed to be done.
4: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, it feels like there is there's kind of been a, a bit of a shift in France specifically. Uh, the information coming out has kind of been shut down. Are you in contact with anybody there? I mean, I, I, I haven't seen anything uh, in the last week or so. I
5: haven't seen anything last week. I believe they were shutting down the Internet. They're trying yeah. to hide it. Um, I believe that what this has helped to do. I saw a figure from a, a mayor in in um, Lyon, I believe, who who said 70% of the French population have now had enough of immigration. Yes. And then the figures show that 30% of the French population are are, are immigrants. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) That's about right. It's literally literally every French person has now had enough. And... The statistic, which was very encouraging for France, which was very different to what I'd seen in the UK, was that Marine the Le- 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 support base for Le Pen, for the Front National, for the anti-immigration party, was highest in the youth. So the youth are rebelling. Because it's the youth in the UK who are being indoctrinated with the woke ideologies. It's the youth who it's are wanting here. more immigration. It's yeah. The, yeah, it was the total opposite in France. When I look through the statistics and the numbers of the 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 Front National vote base, it was very, very encouraging. Um and I think that's the same for some other um for the some other European countries, totally different to America, because our youth are the ones being polluted, our youth are the ones who want to cut off their penises and <laughs>
4: that's exactly it. I, I always say that the the one caveat, the one good thing about this is that they're not going to be breeding, <laughs> they're not going to be having kids, so they're basically just like they're gonna end, they're gonna end the line uh, right there, uh, cut it off at the root, and then everything will be fine. We'll be the ones having they're, children. <laughs> they're not going to be fighting, either, though, are they? No, no,
5: they're not going to be fighting. <laughs> no. no.
4: Oh. <laughs> all right, alive and thriving. Do you have anything else for Tommy?
7: Well, uh just one last question, Tommy. Um, do you anticipate spending any more time in solitary confinement? And if so, ha- have you developed any techniques to help you through that time period without developing more PTSD?
5: Um, I envisage and expect one hundred percent by the end of this year I'll be sad prison on solitary confinement. Mm. So wh- when I return to the He's UK like
7: Wes Watson. Please look look into it. an author and a gentleman named Wes Watson who spent a massive amount of time in solitary confinement. Kind of in his own words, cracked the code on how to turn that in turn that from a a traumatic experience into a I wouldn't say joyful, but a a in his words, spiritually enlightening experience. But it, I would just recommend that name to you, sir, because
5: I'll look I'll, I'll look I'll look that. Up. Do you know what done me every day? So. I'm a creature of habit, and I need routine. I need routine, yeah. So in, in my life, I have to have routine, or things spiral out of control. So when, when I'm when I'm in jail, I used to get, which was so good. I used to get sacks and sacks of mail every day. So I would spend seven hours a day just sat reading my mail, and that was a very enlightening and, and empowering um, moments because. To, to re- and a bit worrying to realise how many people were relying on me. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ. But, but also reading it to read how emotionally attached people were feeling to the news story and to my story. And also reading. I went into jail thinking my support base was, um, I always talk about working class, which is us from the community we're from, from, from a, a, a poorer background. That's what I always thought uh, as my support base. When i read my mail. I realised, wow, we, I've reached the masses. I've reached the middle classes. I've reached the upper classes. I, the the mail that was coming from doctors, from lawyers, from solicitors, who were so attached to the story, who felt so passionately, who was silenced and couldn't speak. So obviously i read day in, day out these stories, which, again, I'll, I'll look forward to reading them again. It's certainly passed my time. It certainly, um, yeah, it certainly made me feel good.
4: So... That's what I'll do, man, when it comes. Right on. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you calling in, brother. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Yep.
7: Good to see you guys. And, uh, Tommy, Godspeed. Cheers, brother.
4: Cheers, man. Have a great night. Thanks, brother. All right. uh, Next caller coming in. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. Go ahead and mute the stream in the background. And uh, is that
9: Casey? It is. How are you, Zach? And, uh, Tommy, welcome. And thank you so much. Uh, you know, you missed the first interview, but Zach was able to play uh, the movie Silence, and boy, that was impactful. And hopefully, as prominent as now, the uh, sound of freedom. In respect to, you got to get people to put eyeballs on it. Um, I, I almost want to say you could you could call it the silence of freedoms because it really it shows the attack of freedom of the press and freedom of free speech uh it just it was very impactful and I'm I'm so glad Zach showed it and then now has you on because I could see it going for 6 hours you know if if it was one you know commentary after another it's like uh it just I I hope it hits as many eyeballs as possible in, in that respect because it's one way of waking people up, and it should be a bookmarked film with the sound of freedom. And as we see now, the people that are attacking the sound of freedom, uh, those are like the people when the, when the soccer players got caught in the cave and everybody's rooting for the soccer players. You know, these people that are knocking the sound of freedom, they're rooting for the cave. All right. Yeah, That's yeah, what horrible yeah. people they are. You know, yeah. and you just got to look. And, I, I know you'll get supporters, um, but uh I, I do want to talk quickly about the the crown's legal system. I'm guessing it's in with the Commonwealth because being in Detroit and so close to Canada and, and driving in and out, trucking and everything, I, I would hear so much about the the legal system of Canada, mirroring obviously, uh English law, but the the privacy of, of hearings and courts. Okay. Where they, they never wanted to, you know, put any details of a court case out to the public, I'm guessing. So they didn't fear a, uh, a jury being, uh, you know, biased or whatever, but it also sounds like because of that and now these NDAs, it sounds like, you know, Canadians and British people, they aren't allowed to dialogue. They aren't allowed to talk about cases and and have maybe new evidence show up. Um, and it's just that that works hand in hand with the journalistic aspect of freedom of the press. So I, I think they're actually getting the worst of the uh, the bargain, the Faustian bargain, if you will, by by not airing uh, testimonies and and details of uh the the law proceedings
5: there's there's so many secret courts now in the uk there's so many secret courts so many orders of silencing so many things people aren't allowed to talk about and my thing is everything should be out in the open i've always said everything should be open if you if you if you're worried about a jury then then restrict the jury don't restrict the british public restrict the jury if you need to put them in a hotel and you need to lock them away and you need to keep them quiet you keep them quiet for the trial you make sure because as it is the, the more open with it, with each one of these trials it's been that when the, when the police have gone out and, and the trial has been made public more victims come forward now but by, by, by oh, limiting what, and what what happened is when, when these cases first come about there weren't restrictions on them so in the first couple of grooming gang trials what we found out was in oxford a young girl there was an oxford trial A young girl who was 12 years old, she had a hot iron rod with the letter M. It was heated up and it was scalded and imprinted on her bum because she was the property of Mohammed. Another young girl was taken and had her tongue nailed to a table. This was another child by the gangs. Another girl was taken out to the woods as they poured petrol over her and pretended to set her on fire to to put fear into her, Mm. to, to never speak. So these were all the things that we found. And what they've done, which they've cleverly done, is by putting reporting restrictions on the trials, we no longer get these details. What we get is instead of details daily about this six week trial, or eight week trial, we just get one day's news at the end men convicted of these crimes. You do not get the gory details. You do not get the, the, the comments of the men, the fact they were, bit, they were racial, the fact they were religious. You don't get all these facts anymore. They're hidden because, through the reporting restrictions. And, and they've managed to put reporting restrictions on these trials up and down the country. I don't think there should be any reporting restrictions. Um, people should be able to be made aware of everything that's going on within those trials. Every gory detail should be made to the British public so they understand how serious the problem is.
4: So uh, just oh, absolutely. Hey,
5: Casey. I was say that
9: speaks to the. Yeah,
4: I was just okay. going to say. Um, I found a, a statistic from 2020 that says up to 500,000 non-Muslim girls have likely been raped by Muslims in the UK, and that's you know obviously Tommy was saying earlier. There's a, a bit of an issue because not most people don't come forward; they just kind of suffer in silence. Uh, so you know, I mean, if if the Number that they have arrived at several years ago was 500,000. I mean, just think about what the, the true uh, numbers are. Casey, go ahead.
9: I was going to say that that makes the journalism, the press, even more complicit with the narrative of we can't. I mean, the details are gory, but, you know, are they as just as gory in a, a non-Muslim case or whatever? Uh-huh. So you're really talking about censorship via the courts via an accomplice press. So I'm saying, where do you see the reforms coming in that aspect? But you also have to look at, Tommy, you you go in front of judges because it's easier to shop judges in any legal system than it is to shop juries because it's harder to convince 12 or how many than it is just one that's been bought off to the narrative. Um, And in respect to, you know, you're you're talking about – you know, problems, but what are the answers in respect to, you know, the whole school system? Are the, are the females, Muslim females exposed to the schools or are they not taught? I mean, because if you want to say what's good for the goose is good for the gander in the sense that these uh, Muslim children don't believe that non-Muslim, you know, girls have any rights. Uh, are non-Muslim, are Muslim girls interacting with, uh, these Muslim and non-Muslim boys in the school system? Are they being homeschooled? You know what I'm saying? It's like, can't you get a melting pot of, you know, ideas to say, Hey, to the Muslim kids, you, you know, if you don't respect non-Muslim women, you know, what, why should non-Muslim boys or men respect the Muslim women? You know what I'm saying? Tit for tat. So, are they being isolated in that respect that the women, the girls aren't going to these schools? And is there any type of Muslim academies? I mean, you say there's a lot of mosques. Are they teaching? Yeah. Madrasas. Yeah. There's
5: there's madrasas. So, many, many of the Muslim children are in madrasas, Islamic schools, especially the girls. Um, there are girls in normal normal education system as well the problem the the difference is you see if this happened to one muslim girl the whole entire country would be on fire if one muslim girl was taken if she was raped kidnapped by gangs of white non-muslim men the entire country would be on fire and maybe that's our own fault for being so weak maybe it's our fault because our communities are broken down maybe it's our fault for not reacting in, in in a in a more aggressive way as a community um, but w- when you say what is the answer, citizen journalism I- is the answer with, with a lot of these issues. And I think that's why they've tried to set an example of me, because they didn't want citizen journalism. They used me as the beacon of citizen journalism in the UK, and they tried to crush me for going to the courts um, to highlight these issues. But I think that the more people yeah, you're, are the speaking, Al- you're
9: the Alex Jones of you know, the UK, and yeah, all yeah. they have to do is defame you personally. And now whatever you say is wonkers.
5: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I'm this pariah and this this toxic, um, I always say toxic Tommy to- strikes again because even GB News, GB News is the new platform in the UK, which is supposed to be a free speech platform. Their presenters are told they're not allowed to mention my name. All of their presenters asked I- to have me on as a guest and they are told we're not allowed to. Now, what sort of free speech platform is that? So our, our media is entirely controlled so the more platforms like this like the more platforms and discussions like this on rumble on different platforms the better the more chance of awakening people of reaching people um again we've all had to shift we've all had to move with the times we've all had to adapt to censorship some have done it better than the others it's a hard pill to swallow it's a hard thing to come back from when you're you like on facebook you can't even mention my name i sit and think what have i actually done what I've actually done, I've never been tried or convicted on any race, hate crimes, on anything to do with racism or hatred, nothing at all. So what is it I've done so bad that's made me such a pariah? Because I have a discussion. You told
9: the, the truth. <laughs> you told yeah, the truth, brother, and that's the problem. It's a revolutionary. Uh, I just want, po- want to make a point on NDAs real quick. Uh, yeah. I understand in business, private organizations, it's a necessary evil, if you will. It's a form of censorship. I understand all that. But why in a school system? Why in the sense of a legal system, whatever? Would you ever sign an NDA? Because that automatically censors. Yeah, it automatically signs a sign of guilt in the sense of, and, and what's the penalty for breaking an NDA? Because we know that Stormy Daniels had one with with Trump. So they must have figured it was. Uh, easy and uh, affordable enough for her to break that NDA, her career, and, you know, the, the, the creepy porn the, lawyer the and the Democrats, whole nine the yards. Democrats have, the Democrats, yeah. some rich Democrats would have agreed to pay the bill. Uh,
5: yes. For Stormy Daniels. Absolutely. So,
4: well, tell regard- I mean, uh, there's a check associated with these NDAs, you know. I mean, that's why these people are signing them.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're getting big money. Right. I reckon yeah. they're, they're getting mega money. Um Mega money, just, uh, and, uh, but then, so one teacher, when I knocked at one teacher's door, and I'm gutted we didn't get the right footage of it, I knocked on this lady's door because I knew this lady had a good relationship with Bailey, the little English boy. When I knocked on her door, uh, she opened her door and she just sat on her knees and cried her eye, eyes out. Oh, wow. She cried and cried, and I looked at her, and I, I knew, it's guilt. I looked at each of them, I thought, you're guilty. I know you're guilty because you've watched his life be destroyed. And then when I said to her, I said, I said about Bailey. She said, How is he? I said, He's all right. I said, He's all right. I said, He's in the car. And she legged it to the car. She ran to the car, she hugged him, she embraced him, she kissed him, and she held him while she cried and cried more. I remember looking at it thinking, and all of this was because she know she knew as a teacher everything they said about Bailey was untrue. But she watched as a child that all those teachers were were not willing participants but they were participants in, in the lie um because some people are saying that like oh sh- you, you've exposed them all by showing that they took nda they're all going to be in trouble yeah but well, they shouldn't have took the money should they they shouldn't have took right. in money they shouldn't have took the money and if they hadn't took the money, this lie would have had no legs. They could have come out and said, "Actually, this isn't true. This there's a lot more to this story." The head teacher could have come out and made a statement. The head teacher actually was driven to alcohol from, from this story. I could have made a documentary just about the head teacher. I had another pupil who who was a self harmer, a real bad self harmer, oh, wow. who I who, who I spoke to, and that pupil said, "Do you know that I would not be alive today if it wasn't for that head teacher?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said. Just that I had someone to turn to, and he was always a voice, always someone's door that I could go knock on. I didn't have that at home. I had real problems. And this was speaking. And I remember sitting thinking this teacher, who everyone I spoke to says some unbelievable things about his character, about what a teacher he was. And his teaching career was ended, and his life essentially was ended, his passion because he says he joined teaching to help poor children. He, I sense, obviously in the documentary, you just get to see snippets. So I had hours of footage. That teacher, I went away from that t- that teacher's house thinking, A, very politically different to me, but what a great man. What a lovely man. yeah, And what a great man to be involved in teaching. And that skill that he had and that passion that he had was ended because the government didn't want anyone to know what had gone on because of their dirty secrets so I could have made countless documentaries out of the footage I had um it was hard to decide which route to go down really it was just and then it ended up being my story rather than or my story because there was the whole section on the NDAs the whole section on the school but then there was the whole lawfare section which I thought was important for people to understand as well but yeah all right yeah, well,
9: NDAs took down yeah I, would I just say NDAs took down an institution, but I, I really want to, I hope you expand and, and go full force on the rumble platform because it's free speech. I wish you had something in the UK that was equivalent to your ITV and all you know, Sky TV, all that, you know, limited uh, communications and narrative control. So I really want you to expand, you know, as much as you can in the United States and hopefully we can, Export it back over to, uh, the UK and the United Kingdom and the world to find out what the true, uh, aspects of the story are and to get the truth out. Like I say, sound of freedom as well. But, uh, and I'm just going to leave you with this in respect to, uh, you know, moving forward. I hope you, you know, you have the resolve and that you can get some leader and some path behind you that can give you the forces and the, the, the money to keep you out of jail, obviously. But and I just wanted to close on the the whole thing why Assange was imprisoned and Trump didn't release him because yep. he didn't want to take on another fight already with the Seth Rich truth. Sure. The whole Rosen, yeah, he, you know, he he couldn't go at that and everything else at the same time. But Tommy, you'll know you've won and accomplished your mission when you get that hypocrite uh, Pierce Morgan. To apologize to you, that would have cracked the matrix. Hey, when I get when I get back to the UK, I'll go and find him. <laughs> all right, KC. Uh, well, I, I he's over here now, but yeah. Right, so God you know. bless you, and uh, keep up the work. And I, I want to see you all over Rumble, Tommy. You will do, man. You will exactly. do exactly.
4: All right, brother. All right. Thank you, Easy. Thank, Thank you very much. much. All right, final caller of the night, Pimp My Sniper. Let's bring him in. Now, Tommy, uh, like I was saying in the beginning of the show, you do have a new podcast. Before we go, I want to make sure that you tell everybody uh, all of the various platforms where they can find you. Well, actually, Pimp My Sniper's microphone is not working. So, where can people find you, and where can people stay up to date with your work?
5: Um, On Rumble, it's Tommy Robinson Official. On Telegram, Tommy Robinson News. On Getter, Tommy Robinson. Um, And Truth the Social podcast, Truth Social on Truth Social, yeah. And on the podcast, it's it, at the minute the podcast has been put on all the normal platforms, as in Apple. Yeah. But I expect it to be deleted from there. So I Probably. expect it to be deleted. So I just might as well just just rumble, just follow me on Rumble. Um I've got a podcast that comes out each Thursday. We had our first one this week, um, which was a young rapper called Spray from London. Gavin McInnes is my second one, which is two hours of absolute magic. I've known Gavin, um, but I've never known his full story. And to hear his full story, and I really realised in those two hours what a genius the man is as mm-hmm. well. Genius with his comment, uh, to understand his, he has a dark humour, um, and to understand it and hear it, yeah. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm very excited about that podcast coming out,
4: because it was a it was a very enlightening two hours for me to spend with him. Awesome! I'm looking forward to listening to it myself. All right, pimp my sniper. You are on the air. How you doing? Hello, hello. Can you hear me all right? Uh, yes, yes, we can. Yes, we've got you. What's your question for Tommy? Go ahead.
10: Yeah, it's just a quick one. Uh, Tommy, I've been following you for a long time, many years. Uh, you're you're brilliant, mate. Absolutely Um I've always wondered because I I follow you on Telegram. I know you've got. Other platforms now get our and you you were back on Twitter for a, for a minute for a quick minute were not and then forgot, literally a minute <laughs> off you go again <laughs> I don't um, get it I've always won it's it's unbelievable but I, I've Why always wondered amazing? yeah exactly but I've always wondered where do you source a lot of this information from because a lot of it is very emotive. um and are you also able to verify it as well? Because a, yeah, lot the, I, I, a lot of the videos are, you know, it seems like it's just a random person filming. It could be from anywhere. Do you know what I mean? I so have I've, a, I've always wondered that.
5: Yeah. So I have a group chat, three of us, uh, two full time employees. I have a group chat with two their job is to verify. So what I do, I pick stories all day. Yeah. So I look through, I find something that interests me, I flick it into my group chat. It's their job to source the video, verify the video. Sometimes they come back and say that's bullshit, that's lies, that's not right. Um, so before the video goes out onto our platforms, that's what that that's their job, their their full time job. So is to verify the news, the the news and the stories. So and and of course at times I think you know, over the years I've got some wrong and I've corrected them when they've been wrong. Um, but yeah, that's literally we have a full time. I can't show you because I'm using my phone here but a full-time group where all it is all day is is, is that, exactly that clarifying of stories and, and news stories that I find or that other people find um, that should be going out, yeah. Yeah. So, so you can thank Nem and Jack for that. <laughs> uh, they do a great job with our social media.
10: Yeah, and I think the reason why I wanted to ask that question is because um, if you were to start getting... Lots of these videos wrong. I mean, that just sets you open for own goals with all the other people that want to try and attack us constantly. No, I
5: know that's what. That's I know it's that important. So literally, nothing goes up on there, up on our platforms, without it being checked, yeah. and without the sort of the information being checked. If there's so, for, for for example, there's a video in Ireland today that we put out where a group of black migrants attack a an Irishman on his lap, on his lawn. I don't know if you've seen it, but the news that the word floating around was that the man has a blood clot in his brain or has brain damage. Now we couldn't source that. So we haven't put that in our news story, but that is what, so we we attempted to try and clarify that, but that literally at the minute is a rumor that's online and people post around as a matter of fact, but we can't find to prove it as a matter of fact. So we didn't actually share that part of the story so like that we do fact check things and we are careful in what we print to make sure that we have as much respectability or as much <coughs> trust from the people that what we're sharing we have researched have you ever had um,
10: inside word from these journalists as to why they don't publish or, or talk about these types of because I, I know it's, it's a bit of a cliche classic argument now you when you say, "Well, if the races were switched and the roles were reversed, it would be international news," and, and of course it would be, but when it's when it's from, from that direction, you don't really hear anything about it. Have you ever had inside words from anyone in these media organisations as to why they don't seem to no, care about when it's that direction?
5: No. So w- when I produced Panadrama, I don't know if you I don't know if you've had a chance to yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. So, pa- uh, Panorama, so those listening, Panorama is the BBC's flagship investigative programme documentary maker. Um, it was very well trusted by the British public. They were doing a hit piece on me. Their working title was Tommy Takedown. I sent someone undercover into Panorama to get covert recordings of them planning fake news against me.
2: That's yeah. great.
5: So I, and then when they when they come to interview me for their documentary, I had a screen on the wall behind me, and I just sat and played the recordings of them all conspiring to fabricate news, sexual allegations, all sorts against me. Yeah? So um, on that show, <clears throat> there's a journalist called Stephen Bird, who wh- when I was exposed, when my life changed and he come and me- met me, when I was leading the English Defence league, no one knew who I was. When they were exposing me on the front page of the Times newspaper, it was Stephen Bird was the journalist who was exposing me. So he tracked me down. He'd been to my mother's. He then met, I then met him and he said, your life's about to change tomorrow because the whole country's going to know who you are. I kept in contact with him. I thought he was very fair yeah, with his report and with his story, with what he'd done. So I kept in contact with him and um, I maintained a relationship with him about news, about information. <coughs> when I got these covert recordings on Panorama and John Sweeney, I had the head of Panorama lying, telling people what to say in an interview, making sexual allegations, being racist, being homophobic, all these things. Bam! I had him, yeah. So I met him, and I, I met him at a pub, and I showed him all the recordings. And he was like, oh, my God, do you realise what you've got? I said, yeah, I do, yeah. It's huge. And he said, it's massive. He said, right, let me go see my editor. He went to see his editor. He'd come back, and he said, we're not allowed to run it. Wow. I said, but you just said, but I said, but you just said how huge it was, bruv. You just said this is massive. He goes, I said, what does that tell you then, Stephen? Are you a journalist? Are you even a journalist? If you're not allowed to run it, what about freedom of the press? What about what do you mean you're not allowed to run it? And when I produced that documentary, it's the same as silence. When I produced Panorama, not Panodrama, not one single British journalist, not one commented on it. So you've all just watched Silence, you've seen the corruption in Silence, you've seen the evidence, you've seen the news story. Not one single British journalist, not even one on the right of politics, not even one of the fringe journalists, not even Nigel Farage, not even anyone like that, none on, none on GB News, not one single journalist has even mentioned the film Silence. If that doesn't show you how controlled journalism and, free, uh, and the press are in the UK. Even those who you think aren't controlled, even those who you think are on your side, they're all controlled. Wow! So, not one of them are mentioned either of the films,
10: either of them. So, yeah, there's there's a, there's an environment of fear in the UK around the media, and it's always quite refreshing to uh, to listen to American commentators, even even your your mainstream american broadcasts like i Fox agree because they it just it feels like the 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 leashes are off with uh, the americans and it's really it's yeah. really good to see yeah i agree i agree Sorry. but yeah i right. no, keep up the good work mate honestly I'll, I'll from- I'm, I'm, I'm actually in coventry university so i'm only just on the road from a lot of uh, oh, yeah. shenanigans that are going on <laughs> but- and
5: if you're if you're in covent you're at coventry university what's my um Go to the standard bear pub. And yeah. Say hello.
10: Oh <laughs> <saying. laughs> right, yeah, we'll do. Well, but but you got this whole thing coming up now around the corner when I mean, you get back to the UK. Fingers crossed, it all goes well and it gets thrown out. Um, yeah, and if you ever decide to do a meet and greet, I'll I would love to try and come to one and meet you in person. And like, oh, do you, good, you ever do meet and greets or go to pubs and watch? I a did do Sunday some. Before? Yeah, I
5: done one in Telford, two hundred people. I done I done them as a book launch. Um, which I will look certainly look into. When I land back in the UK, I just want to go 100 mile an hour back into my work, back into my doc. I want to finish episode five of The Rape of Britain. I reckon I can do that in the first four weeks of being back in the UK. I believe that if they want to prosecute me through the courts, there'll need to be a court trial. It's going to push them back a few months. So I'll have a few months to really try and make myself explode again and use their court trial to do that. So... Yeah. Well, I'll be following it. Cool. If you're on my email list, go on to Urban Scoop. get on the email list. Any sort of meet and greet, people will be emailed via there. Yeah.
10: Oh, sweet, man. Sweet. Yeah, we can talk to you, mate. Good luck with everything. Cool, mate. Thanks
4: for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, all right. Peace. <clears throat> All right. Uh, that awesome way to end the show, guys. That'll be our last caller. So, Tommy, let me ask you this uh, real quick before we go. Two questions. Um, well, what's, your, what's your take on Nigel Farage? Has he uh, failed to live up to the promise that I think a lot of people thought he was going to deliver on, uh, or, or is he just a victim of the system?
5: Um, my take on Nigel Farage is he's
4: done amazing work for Brexit. He's done amazing work, um,
5: but at the same time, he's helped to uh, isolate voices like ours. He has made requests that he doesn't share platforms with us. He's tarnished us, included labeled us. So whilst I like to forgive and forget, um, as you've asked me, yeah, he's been part of the problem. Okay. Um, but yeah, at the same time, he's done fabulous work. So I'm not going to put down the work he's done and, and the position he's put himself in as well. But I just think that he should have been more open-minded He shouldn't have allowed other uh, journalists to come under attack without speaking out. Uh, He's only spoke out now about his bank account when it's, when it's affected him. Our banks were closed down years ago. Um, So yeah. But yeah, he does do great work. He's a great orator. He's a great commentator.
4: Um, He has a great platform. I just hope he uses it. So full of ability. Okay. All right. And uh, finally, What's happened to Bailey? I I think I followed him on Twitter and actually sent him a DM, (coughs) seeing if maybe he might be interested in doing an interview. It looks like he's been relatively quiet since all of this went down. But uh, have you stayed in contact with him?
5: I've stayed in contact. I spoke to him today. Spoke to him today. Bailey's up and down, very up and down emotionally, um, which is where he's been for for years now. He's not been in a great place. Um, Yeah, he's still not in a great place. So, uh, well, I'm sorry to hear he's that. He's still not at in- a great place because I think he still needs the break to get him away from where he is. I think it's a struggle because he's in Huddersfield. Mm-hmm. Um, he's struggling, he's struggling to find work, struggling with everything. So unfortunately, it's not a, it's not a happy ending
4: story for Bailey at the minute. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm I'm really sad to hear that. <clears throat> and if you could just let him know that everybody here in the audience, uh, really, you know, they're thinking about him, they're praying for him. And uh, if there's ever anything that I can do to help in any way, I would absolutely be honored to do so. Um, all right. And uh, just finally, uh, you know, any last words? I mean, what would you like the audience to take away from tonight's conversation?
5: That um, That how important it is to have these conversations, how important these platforms are, anyone who has a platform like this um needs support they're under attack from all different angles they have a lot going on in their life so it's just it's imperative that people who are willing to have these debates and these platforms are supported uh, um by everybody so that's it and if anyone would like to buy my books you can do so at com. i have enemy of the state which is my life story and my most recent book which was banned by amazon is called silence ironically um, yes, yeah, so that's TRSilence.com. And just thank you
4: for your time and thank you for the platform, bro. I've enjoyed chatting. chatting. Absolutely. Um, real quick, Winky Wanky Woo would like for you to say freedom for Scotland.
5: Freedom <laughs> for Scotland, not from who? From us, from Britain. <laughs> I is don't that know. what that is? Is <laughs> yes. that what that is aimed at? Uh, no, I don't support Scottish independence <laughs> okay. at all. And I, I do not like Nicola Sturgeon. So <laughs> unity is better.
4: Okay. Cool bread. <laughs> Uh, All all right. Um, I've got a couple of thank yous. I'm just going to go through these over here on the foxhole. There might be a a couple extra questions for you. Mr. Driftwood, again, watching from New Zealand. Appreciate that. Video Demon Slayer, thank you for the cookie. Also, thank you to Paul Thaddeus. Uh, Emily UK donated and says uh, hello. Doug Simey, thank you for the can. LKW Cross, thank you for the phone. Zeta Anon says, hey, RP, when you get a chance, uh, I need a prayer request from my father. Something is destroying his red blood cells. So, So, yeah, obviously, everybody keep Zeta Anon's father in your prayers. He says, no one is talking about the vaccine. I'm beyond pissed off. I need some help. So I take it that your father is vaccinated. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, there's been a a lot of issues with people's blood after uh, getting the the clot shot. Filter dog one thank you for the can. And then says, is it racist to say Tommy would be a great character in a Guy Ritchie flick? I could actually see that. (laughs) That would work. That would work uh Tamra growl thank you for the can sean joe thank you for the uh cookies average joe patriot says cheers great show emily says hi red uh hi tommy stay strong mate we're gonna get through this and then cjmm61 says great show zach and it looks like a lot of other people said this was a great interview so uh yes tommy thank you so much for joining us you are always welcome here and if there's uh again anything that i can help uh with in the future or help you promote anything uh i will be jumping at the opportunity all right thank you bro. Thank yeah, you pleasure, man. thank Peace. you everybody at home we'll see you bye bye- bye